0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge Pop-Up Bar. uh, One of our impromptu evenings to come on and discuss all things wonderful in the world of Swindon Town, or unfortunately, as was per last night, some things that weren't so wonderful. Um, Sadly, nine months of, um, more often than not, spectacular entertainment, um, ups and downs, the roller coaster that is Swindon Town came to an end uh, with a disappointing away defeat on penalties uh, to Port Vale. You won't need me to tell you all about that. Nonetheless, it's happened. Um, uh, there was a number of talking points coming off the back of last night's game, which uh, we're going to be getting into tonight, uh, along with debut host Chris Phillips. Chris, good evening. How are you? Not bad, Hannah's mate. Not bad. Well, all things considering. Yeah, all things considered, a a difficult evening for us to stomach Chris last night and um, uh, yet difficult on a number of fronts. And the the fallout uh, today on social media has been wretched and depressing to consume. It's always difficult um, falling at the the type of hurdle that we fell at last night, but uh, none more so when it uh, involves the controversies of um, pitch invasions, which have been a blight on our game and ha- are a hot topic in today's news. And um, another fellow who's going to be joining us tonight is the wonderful Andrew Hawes, who was on the mic for BBC Radio Wiltshire last night. Andrew, good evening. How are you? Are oh, you there, Andrew? He may well be there, but he can't speak. Chris, are you still hearing me loud and clear? Yep. Yeah, uh, uh... All all good, all good. Super. At some point, I'm sure Andrew will jump on. Um, Obviously, we're all hot off the back of last night. I think things are starting to settle down. I think, obviously, it's going to be a topic of debate. We can't avoid talking about the the obvious of last night. But we also now have to be mindful that after much um, public outcry, particularly from the Swindon town quarters, we are talking about um, a live police investigation. So, nonetheless, we are going to have to be very careful about what we do say. Um, But what we will be able to do through this show is provide um, appropriate signposting um, for anyone that um, either recorded anything or has anything to share um, with both Wiltshire Police and Staffordshire Police who are collaborating on that investigation. I believe it's being led by staffs um, and that um, Wiltshire Police have been very live across all the channels today asking people for information. I would say this. If you're as outraged as I was uh, last night um, about some of the things that unfolded no further than about 10 feet from my face, um, please do make a point of sharing what you have with the police. There is no point feeling that sense of outrage, disgust, um, frustration, annoyance um, if you don't do something about it. Um, One of the words that I saw being bounded around on social media today is that delightful word, that people that like to break the law use to intimidate people that would otherwise do good things, which is grass. Um, It's not about grassing. It's about doing the right thing. One of the things that absolutely sickened me to the stomach today was when I read an account from uh, junior autism, junior autism's parents, of children being um, uh, ushered away from a a hail of bottles and coins, Um, children being struck in the head, struck in the face as that was happening, um as well as some of the choice things that i had to suffer i wouldn't want anyone having to put up with um that kind of treatment so please if that's your mindset do me a favor if grass is part of your uh, vernacular and you seem to feel that there's there's an issue with doing the right thing unfollow me straight away don't don't follow me again i've got a block button and a mute button for a re- you have rather a block button and a mute button for a reason please use them um, uh, because I, I'd appreciate it, and no doubt any right-minded person probably would. Um, so, I mean, Chris, we're probably the best way to sort of sort of progress moving forward is we'll we'll just sort of try and, and sort of dissect how last night folded. I mean, how, what, how was your how was your evening, Chris? Tell tell me all about how your evening unfolded. Well, um, I uh, got into
1: Manchester at about three o'clock to um, meet a friend because obviously we're a uh weren't allowed in any pubs in burslem uh, We decided Manchester, and then we just jumped on the train straight across, straight into the ground. And uh, and then from there, the, the atmosphere in there was was superb. Uh, once we got into there, you know, it was good natured, and we're all fairly confident when it started and there. Uh, but that first half, it was it was a downer.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, look, Chris, it's interesting because I think the, f- the first thing that struck me, and I don't know whether anyone has actually confirmed this now, but um, there was, that as I've emerged at the rear of the stand and the pitch has unfolded in front of me, the pitch seemed to have lost about three, three, four, five five metres from the right-hand side. Now, anyone, I didn't go to the Vale game away earlier in the season, but it looked like the, um, the, the, the pitch had been amended. But clearly, at the same time, I, I was under the impression that pitches can't be amended during the season um so it would be interesting if anyone can come on and and give a view give a view on that but it 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 straight away kind of got me not I wouldn't say fearing the worst but you you knew that you know I I immediately started considering the dark arts and whatnot because a lot have been made about us making the most of the space that the pitch afforded at Vale and it looked to me that there weren't as much space as we were possibly expecting um Chris we'll see see if we can get Andrew back on at this stage Andrew are you listening um are you with us
2: Yes. Yes. Sorry. Sorry about my uh, technical incompetence. No,
0: don't, don't be so silly, Andrew. Andrew, can you shed any light on that? Was Was the pitch amended last night? Are you aware?
2: Um, not that I know of. I don't immediately think so. From trying to remember back to the the January game to to last night, I think um, I think it was. Uh, it must have. Been, I didn't immediately come in and and get that like, get that sense uh, that sense you did and. And again, as far as I'm aware, of the rules, as as you are, I don't think you you can amend the pitch mid-season either.
1: I was yeah.
3: So, yeah.
1: Sorry, Chris. I was going to say I was at the game in January, but obviously was watching it from the other end of the pitch. Uh, and last night, I actually thought certainly on the uh, from where we were looking at it, the left touch line, it did look like it had come in a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it was interesting. Listen, I'm not, I am not one. I'm not going to sit here tonight and start making excuses for our, um, our sort of um, relatively stunted performance in the first half. Um, I, so it's not, it's not a question of that. It's more an indication that, um, you know, I couldn't quite put my finger on why we just couldn't get, we just didn't seem to be able to get things going last night Um the, the the sort of raking diagonal passes I was expecting um, didn't seem to materialise. When they did, they were inevitably going out of play, um, and 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 the boys all seemed to see the little bit um, sixes and sevens for the first forty five. But I mean, let's um, let's have a pick through. Um, let's have a, let's have. A, I mean, we'll have a. a if we, if we can, a, a, a pick through the lineup, So, we, we've obviously we started with with Wardy in goal. We could have no complaints there, Chris, could we, with, with Wardy continuing to keep no, their, uh, it's, the it's goalkeeper's gloves? He's,
1: he's done nothing wrong as well. And I think he was a bit harsh to drop him earlier in the season just as soon as Wallacott came back. But no complaints with, with Wardy in there because he's, he's actually commanded his area quite well and, and is a big part of how Baudry and Conroy have, have had that good, solid partnership over the last five or six games.
0: Yeah, and Andrew, I mean, what were your thoughts on um, on Wardy starting? I mean, it was he pretty. I mean, the goalkeeper position pretty much picked itself, did it not last night?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't think there was ever any real danger of him being uh, replaced for the the second leg. Um, he'd had a sol- he'd had a solid enough first leg. He's done pretty well. I think that I think that point Chris makes about him. You know, looking or trying to be authoritative in the in the six-yard box does does count does count for something and has helped. What's what's been a, a pretty good defensive record.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And we talked in the build-up to the game uh, the the recent excellent form of both Dion Conroy and Matthew Bowdry. And um, as anyone knows me as a, a former goalkeeper myself, I've been espousing the virtues of um, Wardy. And I've been pointing to Wardie as one of the big reasons why I think they're playing with renewed vigour and confidence. Um, purely because of the way that he does command that box. So yeah, for me, no brainer. Um selection of, so obviously it was it was unchanged from the previous game, Chris. Selection at right back was, was Manny Egbo again. I mean, clearly we there there is always an option that bringing in an, an Akinodimayo. Um we have options in that position, although Rob Hunt's uh, injured, but there could be no complaints with Manny lining up again.
1: No, I actually think the way we play, um, Egbo and Iandolo, um are, are the ideal fullbacks in there because we need them to be to be getting on because that's where the, without them there's there's no width, uh, and obviously with with Tomlinson unavailable really Iandolo, who's who was brilliant in midfield he just has to drop back there.
0: Yeah, and and interestingly I think. Um... Ellis, Ellis uh, attracted a lot of criticism earlier in the season for some of his performances at, at left-back where he showed lots of endeavour going forward but was perhaps being um, criticised for being found out a little bit in terms of defensive duties. But of late, um, when Ellis has slotted back in at left-back, he's he's been giving us decent performances, Chris. Would you not agree?
1: He, he has that. There was a couple of times that went past him in that first half. But over the game, certainly in the second half, he was, he was probably the best player on the pitch, certainly in a yellow shirt he was or a gold shirt.
0: Yeah I mean okay so I'm I'm going to only slightly disagree with you there because I think the player who was by far and away for me the best player on the pitch let alone um uh, the best player for town was uh, the the recently reinvigorated Matthew Baudry. Now um Andrew what was your view on Baudry's performance?
2: Yeah no I, I I thought he was tremendous I, th- I think in one of our very Sort of fitful discussions in the car on the way back, in between uh, lots of silence. We were kind of trying to pick out who who you'd look at as a, as the man of the match. And again, this this sort of recent spell, he's um, he's looked incredibly fit. He's been kind of strong in the air, and you know, kind of almost a sort of confidence and exuberance on the on the ball as well. Again, there was another one of the, those moments where. I think it was in the in the second half when he's in, you know, he's in a bit of trouble. He's in a bit of trouble initially. It looks like down by the byline, and yet kind of weaves his way forward and starts prompting another another potential counter attack. So um, it's very it's very hard to think of anyone else who came out of the night as well as he did.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I know exactly the moments you're talking about. In fact, I think there were there were three, maybe four, wonderful moments where he was under a lot of pressure. And he's just got that little drop of a shoulder where he sends the striker one way and then suddenly just engineers three, four yards of space and is able to get himself out of trouble with a short pass left or right. I thought Boudry was outstanding. Um, alongside Bowdry, Chris, we had um, town skipper Dion Conroy. Um, what did you make of uh, Dion's performance, Chris? I'll just,
1: one thing I'll just go back to, to Boudry for a minute there as well. I think over, yeah, of course. over the last six or seven games, he's probably um, been in the conversation for man of the match in every one of them. Mm. He's uh, and and that obviously when we need those four wins or, or five as it was um, with the first leg, in the partnership between Bowdrey and Conroy has been so key to that. They've just worked so well together, the communication and whatnot. And <clears throat> obviously over the season we've struggled defensively, and a big part of that is how often the, the two centre backs have changed. And the yeah. the key the key to that was with Ward behind them and those two there, the three of them. Have just formed the
0: backbone of of what's what got us those wins when we really needed them. Yeah, well, you know, Chris, in the last show we, we talked a lot, and we, we come on, again, we'll come on to Dion right now. But I mean, over the last sort of, uh, particularly in the last show, there was a lot of conversation about the triangle. Um, Kevin Metcalf spoke with great eloquence on the last show about um, the foundation that the triangle of Ward. Boundary and Conroy uh, has given the team and the confidence that that appears to give the team and the foundation that, that gives the team to operate from. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think bowdry has been excellent. Um, We're we, we coming back to Bowdry in a touch, but I mean I would like you to have a, a, a little bit of a consideration. And Andrew, I don't know if Bowdry has said anything to you, um, potentially about, um, you know, another year at the county ground. But I think just given the nature of his performances – um, I think it's something that we, we've got to consider but that conversation is not just for yet because I wanted to spend a bit of time on on Dion who for me not only had a, an excellent performance alongside um Bowery last night but um in the penalty shootout um kept his nerve um, and fired an absolute beauty home but um first i've got there's a couple of things i want to say to talk about Dion but first things first let's um chris let me let me get your views on on what you saw last night and hopefully you saw the same performance i did.
1: I think uh, it's confidence at the moment. I think he's very much is a confidence player, and he's been harshly criticized by some fans through the season, um, well over the top. But again, uh, he's been really good over the last last few games, and I thought last night again, he was uh, it was good because it's some of those you know his his ball playing uh, is, is a big part of how we play.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, the the um, sort of more more worryingly, I'm I'm on a couple of WhatsApp groups with um, with a few people that might refer to themselves as being a bit uh, in the know, shall we say? And I've also noticed pop up on social media um, some of these rumors as well. But um, Andrew, have you, I don't know if it's been picked up at your end, but I've been noticing rumors today linking um, Dion Conroy with a um, uh, with a link up with former manager Richie Wellens at Leighton Orient. Is that anything that's come across your desk?
2: Uh, it hasn't, yeah. Um, I don't think you'd. I don't think you'd rule it out at all. I mean, he is. Uh, he's sort of of the uh, of London Essex, so may- maybe that makes some sort of sense geographically. Um, you know, maybe he has a certain amount of frustration. I don't. I'm not really sure with with how some of the fans are with him. He's never kind of said that, but, um, but you know, he he is he is kind of out of contract, and he is in a he is in a place where where he can where he can look for a move, and, and whether he feels he's sort of. Done his time at Swindon or not? Um, but he was good last night. I, I think you look both at Audrey and Conroy, and you you think of oh, them as ball playing centre halves, but they they were physically over the two legs, very competitive um, with the Port Vale strikers. I thought.
0: Yeah, what? and and and, and the, you know, and they did have their hands full as well because James Williams, as he proved last night, is is a threat. Was a falling on side. He, he is a lot to handle. But um, Bari's goal. Um, which on in having looked at the replays, maybe wasn't as offside as we maybe thought it was at the game. Um, they 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 largely kept in quiet, didn't they?
1: I think they um they did. But the one thing I'll I will say as well about Conroy as well, he's got more of a reputation sort of like a, a ball playing centre half, but he's very good in the air as well. And it it was winning a lot in there
0: that that was was helpful. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, Chris. And, and yet that part of his game has always been something that people have been kind of highly critical of, um, particularly earlier in the season when it was kind of, you know, he became a pantomime villain somewhat, certain sections of the town crown. Um, well, listen, I mean, obviously... Um, My message to Dion, if he was listening in, is that, you know, he's shown immense character battling back, winning back over some of his doubters in a season where he's probably played more football than at any point in his career. Um, Ali Willits talked a couple of weeks ago about certain players. She didn't mention names, but she talked about certain players with neurological um, issues in relation to injury and fitness um, that the fitness team and the, the medical team have worked very hard on to sort of help them overcome any doubts about their own body. and. I mean, obviously, if if that is something that has been uh, sort of, you know, concerning Dion um, and it is something he's got over, then I would say, look, Dion, don't there is no need to twist. But at the same time, I think it's 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 that it is realistic. As Andrew said, Chris, you know, late Orient would be a short jump from his um, from his from his from his roots and. Um, they may well be in a position to offer him more money, uh, offer him the same level of responsibility, perhaps that he enjoys at Swindon as captain. Um, and Richie Wellens is a manager that clearly he has a great rapport with. So it's one, it's a rumor that we'll watch with interest. I think is the best way to describe it. Now we're mo- moving up through the side. So, um, again, as we said, unchanged from the first leg. So we had, um, Johnny Williams, um, on, uh, in, in, uh, on the, on the width of the midfield, midfield free, um, no re- again, no real reason to um, to um, be concerned about Johnny Williams slotting in there. Chris, what did you make of his performance? I thought, uh, well, Williams was very busy,
1: uh, as it always is. And uh, it was certainly took some, some heavy challenges in there. But that, that's every game. It's like, um, I think it was on, uh, with Vic the other night, Ali was saying that no one comes off with more bruises and bashes than, than Johnny does.
0: Mm. Yeah, and yeah, he, I mean, he was buffeted, Andrew, fair to say, last night um was it um i mean you're, you're obviously a lot closer to the local um uh sort of radio broadcasters w- was there any were there any comments coming from them in relation to williams performance or um you know because he spent he spent a fair bit of time on the deck but at the same time that did seem to be off the back of robust challenges as opposed to um, any theatrics was there anything you picked up from the commentary box in relation to that? um
2: not, not 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 a lot we we kind of um Keep a safe gap between ourselves and um, and Radius so uh, so we don't we don't kind of shout over each other. Essentially, um, I don't know, you know, it, it felt like a very sort of familiar game for for Johnny Williams in terms of getting that that robust challenges. Um, I'm not sure you look at any of the kind of midfield and say they were bad, but they weren't. I don't, I don't think as a, as a collective, and perhaps this is is some of just the the kind of industry and the ability that Port Vale had and the, the discipline, they should have shut them down. Um, as a collective, I didn't think they were the, the kind of creative force we know they can be.
1: Yeah, I would have, yeah. I would have said that as well. That, uh, often as well, we, we said they're a bit dynamic. I mean, you've seen the, the runs from Payne, the runs from Williams. They just didn't seem to, 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 to get it together last night for, for one reason or another.
0: Yeah, Chris, I, I I agree. I agree with yourself as well, Andrew. I think I I mean, my, the the comments that I was making in the build up to this game was that it was essential that clearly we got on the ball, imposed our style of play, and. They are quite clearly on their day. By far and away, the best midfield trio in Reed, Williams, and Payne anywhere in that division. Um, they, I keep using the word technicians to describe them versus anything else I've seen. Now I haven't seen three technicians in the midfield in any other side in this league. So um, yeah, I, I was I was a little frustrated that we just didn't seem to get the ball into them. We didn't seem to get those little triangles zipping about, and um, we didn't really see any kind of passes from them. Um, that was sort of split in the centre halves and posing any questions. But um, okay, so dro- dropping back onto onto um, Louis Reed. I mean, again, we won't repeat ourselves. It it seemed to be a quiet performance from Louis Reed um, versus what we used. To. It was all very neat and tidy, wasn't it? But if Louis Reed is a is an eight, I was kind of looking last night and thinking he was more of a six. Um, where, where was where was your head at, Chris?
1: Uh, I
0: would probably think about that as well because it, and I think this
1: it stems more from the fact that how good he's been and so when he's average it's he, you think he's had a bad game yeah when he's not had a bad game it's just
0: not as good as he normally is i completely agree with you um andrew what was your take on on reedy's performance last night
2: yeah again again we, it seems like we've all we've all sort of seen a fairly similar game haven't we the certainly could not say it was bad but you saw the occasional moment where he would sort of really manipulate the manipulate the ball, be that technician you talked about, and and you know quickly switch the play from left to right. You saw it at times, but again, again, some of it comes down to the fact that Port Vale just worked so hard and congested that midfield and did a lot of a lot of sort of closing down whenever. We tried to play out from the back, and that and that worked, and that they they made a mess of quite a lot of the midfield. Port Vale in in a good way for them, and it made for more of the the sort of ragged um, off esque game that that they'd want. Yeah, the,
0: yeah. The, I, I mean, and, and of the of the three midfielders, so we'd, we'd spend a bit of time on Jack Payne because, I mean, for me, he was the pick of the the midfield three. I think he's very busy. He got himself into some areas where he was he was posing some questions. But um, you know, again, if we're looking at Jack to be you know a typical um, at sort of seven or eight, again, it was a it was a solid six, and that's by no means kind of doing it the bit that you know the the midfield three down. It's just I'm sorry, like as Andrew said, I think a lot of that just came down. You have got to give credit where credit's due. I think Paul Vell did a very very good job on them. Mm-hmm. What I in my mind's eye I'd envisage going into this game with. Jack Payne engineering space and working their keeper, particularly from distance. And sadly, we just didn't really see any of that, um, which, yeah, was a bit of a shame. Um, Chris, your your critique on Jack Payne, was there any, anything in particular that stuck out or anything? That...
1: Was, I just think it was, um, I think it's much the same as the others. But one thing I will say, you know, what that midfield needed last night was Jordan Lydon. Mm. And, um, and one thing as well, going back to Reid, um, we didn't really see it too much last night because we're at the other end but that clearance off the line in extra time that was going in yeah 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 but um, but, uh, but with, with pain i think i think it was it's much the same as them all they were they were six when if we, if, if all three of them i would say I would, I would give a six to but we needed one of them to be a 7 or an 8 and we just we just didn't get that so we just never really got going and because they didn't really get going we
0: never didn't have anything ahead of them yeah i completely agree i completely agree so we'll um move up to our forward line so um frustrating for me um tipped by many including myself to be the guy that would probably be the um the i, I thought he would be the, winner, the the game changer last night for some reason i'd lumped on young louis barry um to um uh to really tickle our fancy um out uh, well wide, i but...
1: mentioned i actually mentioned louis barry i think on uh, yeah. that the other night when we we're talking when was was it uh... Yeah, yeah, Tuesday night, no, Wednesday night, was it?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, it just, it
1: just didn't get into the game. Well, I don't think I, I really had the Barry or McCurdy really got into the game, and that's that's just why we struggled because we didn't really create any a great chance. I think the best chance we had was probably
0: the one that Baudry put over. Yes, yeah, completely agree. Um, it was, I mean, I, I mean, I was right behind the goal, uh, I was three or four rows back, um. And yeah, the, 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 the chance. I mean, you could see that it was written all over his face. I mean, it's guilt edged. He, it obviously, he tried to sort of bend his leg round the, round the defender, um, flick it in and it's gone a couple of yards over, which was a shame. But I mean, going back to, going back to Louis Barry, I think it was, um, yeah, very frustrating performance in that we didn't really get the, get the ball into his feet. We didn't really give him much opportunity to, um, exploit any kind of space. I thought Paul Val were very compact and very well drilled at the back. Um, and it was certainly, um, for young Louis, a, a game to forget. And and uh, obviously, he's been tweeting today on social media. There, there is, you know, pretty much his, his cheerio tweets. Obviously, he didn't get a chance because of yeah. events at the end of the game to come on and say goodbye. Um, but kind of a very disappointing way for Louis Barry to end his time in Wilshire, Chris, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was.
1: I mean, he's, I mean, what is he, eight, 18 years old? So you're going to get that inconsistency. I mean, it, we've seen how good he can be. And then we've seen him just not be in games, but that's going to happen with an 18 year old kid. So we're, we're, and it's, but it, I think it, it needed us to have the ball further up to really get him into the game. And, uh, and then, because what we want him to do is to be running onto, onto
0: those fullbacks. And he just didn't really get, have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, switching to the other side, um a, a, a performance that the home fans um, certainly reveled in, particularly at the final whistle um, was um, a young Mr. McCurdy um, returning to Port Vale, um, having done the damage up there earlier in the season. Um, a lot of talk around, you know, it, almost like he was inviting uh, attention from the crowd. Um, he's, he's performed. He got a fairly, got a, a silly red card for a little bit of petulance towards the linesman. Um, throwing up, sort of glassy signs at him, and then obviously seeing a flash of yellow, um, it was a, it was almost the same sort of situation as Barry, wasn't it? I mean, their their fullbacks just just seemed to have the measure of Harry McCurdy last night, Chris. Uh,
1: it was, and I thought as well that they that they obviously knew how dangerous he was. So every time he got the ball, there was three of them on him, and there was just nowhere for him to go. And and a lot of the time when he did, when he was running, there was just no there was no option for him. So he just it was running in, into no man's land because they were eventually going to get the ball off him and yes. there was nowhere no uh, outlet pass for him there
0: yeah um, A- andrew what was um uh, what was the kind of theme of the commentary obviously i wasn't listening for obvious reasons what was the theme of the commentary around um, harry mccurdy from your from your vantage point any 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 hot takes from you <laughs> Well,
2: god help us if there are um i mean i th- I, th- I think i'd I kind of disagree slightly. I feel it felt a bit more like a question of supply at times. I actually thought because our our sort of commentary position is is quite close to the uh, the pitch, sort of um kind of almost level about level with the edge of the the penalty area that was was closest to the, the Swindon fans last night. When he actually got the ball. I kind of thought he looked. He still looked quite progressive and and quite dynamic. It it, it felt a bit more like a like I say a question a, a question of support. And it, you think of the the moment where it's almost identical to the way he won the penalty at Walsall, where Payne gets the ball and puts him out to him on the right hand side. Well, I mean when he when he got that ball, there's a there's just like one runner supporting him in in Davison and Vale have got a you know Vale have got the extra men back so. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I, I, I actually would possibly be kinder to his performance than most people. Penal, penalty apart, and I do feel it was a bit more the fact the midfield couldn't function to feed him the ball more than what he did when he had the ball if that makes sense
0: yeah it makes perfect sense and to be very clear i mean i certainly wouldn't be a harry mccurdy basher on the back of last night i think um it was just difficult conditions for him because obviously he was dealing with the cat calls consistent cat calls um and essentially um yeah obviously once the um once he's missed his penalty um there the thing that i found most most regrettable and it's something that you Know, I, I think we should spend a little bit of time about is the it, talking about is the, the the fallout to the Harry McCurdy grin. Now, you know, there, there seems to be a, a a view amongst certain sections of the town fans on social media that Harry McCurdy's reaction to missing his penalty was one of, I couldn't care less, or, um, you know, I'm you know, I've you know, I'm I'm, I'm fancy Dan, I'm in this for myself, whatever it might be. But the indication seemed to be that he couldn't give two hoops. Now, I'll, I'll say this, and I just want to make this very, very, very clear. I was very, very lucky a couple of weeks ago to spend a lot of time in the company um, of the town first team and getting to understand the characters and what makes them tick. And if there is one player in our dressing room that really, really does care about Swindon Town and has built a, um, a very, very tight relationship and affinity with Swindon Town it's Harry McCurdy. Um, Harry McCurdy does, um, when it comes to addressing the media and speaking his mind, does speak with a certain um, sort of lack of filter would be probably the the best way to put it. Um, And I think the Harry McCurdy has been described by a lot of town fans as being a bit of a maverick, someone that we should celebrate. Now with that, there are going to come certain reactions at certain times that some of us might find kind of hard to to reconcile, but people do need to realize that if something happens under extreme pressure conditions like that, you can sometimes see reactions from people with characteristics like Harry that may be a little bit different to the theatrics that we might want to see, i.e., curling up, you know, curling up on the ground, you know, tears in his eyes, etc. For some people, you know, laughter is a coping mechanism. For some people, um, you know, it is it, it is just one of those. It's like an explosion of of emotion now. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that because I'm a great Harry McCurdy apologist, but I do think some of the reaction to his facial expressions having missed that penalty was a bit of an overreaction. I mean, Chris, have you got a view sort of either in line or counter to that? Uh, I think that with McCurdy on the whole, it's, you know what
1: he is and you, you accept everything that comes with him because that's what makes him the player he is. You know, he thrives a lot more often. I mean, obviously, he didn't. Come through as much as of it like last night as he often does, but he thrives on on being the bad guy. On I mean, if remember at at, at Carlisle was it? But did he celebrate in front of every stand that sort of thing? He just he just yep. loves being the bad guy. Uh, and that, last night I I didn't really get the, the, oh I missed and, and whatnot. I just got the thing that that's that's just Harry McCurdy. Yeah, it was. I, I didn't think the thing I was laughing and thinking, oh, I don't care. I didn't get that impression. Now, I know a lot of people will, and I've seen a lot of people saying, sell him uh, on social media today. But I just thought that it, I think that's just the way that
0: Harry deals with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, um, Andrew, I don't know, um, hopefully you were able to pick it up from your, from your position in the commentary box. But um if there was one player out there that was tub thumping, beating his chest, you know, waving his hands at the town fans, trying to get us all going, it was Harry Mcurdy. Um, was that something that you picked up on as well?
2: Yeah, no, no, you, you did see a bit. You did see a bit of that in the, the sort of second half when he was, you know, kind of urging fans fans on behind the goal. Um, you know, uh, I, I can't, I can't entirely speak for him or or the, the kind of reaction, whether it's nervous release or whatever, but. Um, and I must admit we've not spoken to him too often, but I think under all the um, all the crash band wallop, there is there is ultimately a, a serious professional. So I I would say that.
0: Yeah, I, I, 100, 110%, a hundred, a hundred and ten percent, a very ser- serious and a very focused, um, um, sort of driven professional when it comes to the art of winning, I might add, um, as was seen on our um, award show. Because aside from all the, the you know, the the hilarity, um, the language, the theatrics, there was an absolutely steely determination um, to essentially not be afraid of anyone that we would face in the playoffs um, and a a certain bring-it-on attitude, right? You know, let's have it. The the thing that I find very difficult to stomach about people saying, well, sell him, you know, get rid. We're talking about a guy that's got 24 goals in all competitions this season. And (laughs) who who in their right mind makes a case for selling arguably our biggest talisman this season? Um, Because you are talking about one of our players of the season. And I'm, I'm absolutely dumbfounded at the level of vitriol that certain town fans have sent in his direction on the basis of a smile after a penalty miss in a shootout when he knows he's about to turn around and have essentially three stands completely hammering him. Um, you know, he it, you know that, that, that obviously it was a big miss, high pressure moment. Um, it's not something he's done because he doesn't care. Um, but I, I just think with Harry McCurdy, we do have a responsibility as Swindon fans to, uh, and I think we have made allowances all season um, for for some of his um, sort of uh, rather the more mercurial aspects of, of Harry. And I do think it's important that you know, those allowances continue to be made because whilst those allowances have been made, We've helped him thrive. Um, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to be filling his head with nonsense from our fans saying we'll sell him because he doesn't care because it's absolutely not the case. Um, I was just sorry, saying, Chris. Those
1: things are what makes Harry McCurdy,
0: Harry McCurdy. Mm. You, you know, you get
1: that with him um, because because Ben Garner's managed him absolutely superbly. He's allowed him to be Harry McCurdy and he's flourished. Yeah. Now, if you managed him any other way, it could be the way that he's been with Carlisle and Port Vale. He has to be managed in that certain way, and you you need to sort of take that other side of him on, and 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 that's what what we've done, and that's how we've got
0: the best out of him. Yeah, completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, another player that seemed to be um, attracting a little bit of vitriol uh, last night was uh, just to round off our, our starting lineup was um, was Josh Davison. Andrew, what was your take on Davison's uh, contribution last night?
2: Um, I think I think you've got to say when the midfield isn't working as well as it is to get sort of, you know, good quality passes into him or stuff. Um, you had to see more from him in terms of winning the physical battle with Port Vale, getting grip of the ball and, and holding it up. I think, I think, I think out of last night, he's probably the one that you'd look at and say, unfortunately, struggled struggled the most. I think you just, you know, as usual you got, you got the willing and you got the running, but you didn't really get that, grip off the ball off your big number nine that you you needed the, the way the game unfolded mm-hmm.
0: do you do you think that 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 it was sort of Davison's struggles that you know ultimately led to the midfield not being as as maybe as dynamic as they could have been andrew so you saying like davidson's sort of performance didn't bring them into the mix as much as you would like
2: um i think i think there's an element i think there's an element of that but you know when when the midfield were being under Put under pressure, or you, you did, you did feel you had to go long. Like, yeah, at that, at that point, I think you have to, you have to look for or hope for more from from him. I, I, you know, I know he's kind of wrestling away to some extent with, with two or three central defenders there, but it. You kind of think of, you think about the sort of one-on-one battles he'd have with Nathan Smith and most of the time. Nathan Smith would would come out better with him, and a, I kind of felt a certain amount of that with Aaron Martin in the first leg as well. They they just find a way to to get a foot round him, or barge him off the ball, or just just make it so that he could not settle and really, uh, you know, get other people involved in the game. Yeah, I've, I've,
0: I've, go on, Chris.
1: I'll just say, with our system and the way we've played, that that number nine is so crucial to it. It was the same with when we had Simpson there playing. Hold, hold, holding the ball up is we need that 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 central striker to hold the ball up to get those midfield runners and to get the the wide forwards into the game. And yeah. and Davison didn't have his best game last night, and and it was coming back too quickly, so we we weren't being able to set up.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a it's a real shame that. You know, I I said this at the time when we signed uh, Josh Davison. I I got the impression that he was one that we've maybe already lined up to come in. And I think Ben Garner's even said as much, that he was someone that we'd lined up to come and relieve some of the burden of Tyrese Simpson, as opposed to being a direct replacement infinitum for the remainder of the season. And you do sort of lament Ipswich's decision to um, recall Tyrese, because the the options that we had on the bench last night, I mean, it, it would have been asking an awful lot. Um, of the relatively limited options we had on the bench, uh, with all due respect to them, to come on and and, and have uh, the impact that you need from a big number nine. Um, fair to say, Chris? It's fair to say, and I think this is a problem we've had um, all season because when we had
1: Simpson, he was the only player who could play that role and same with Davison. And I think that's been one of our glaring weaknesses all season is options up front and certainly in that as a central striker. It's unfair. And I don't even think he's that sort of player to put Parsons in there. Yeah. I don't think he's, he's a number nine. He's a forward player, but he's certainly not a number nine.
0: Yeah. And, and it's it's I mean, it is interesting, isn't it? Because then we can draw parallels with the Richie Wellens championship winning season. And the the partnership of Jerry, Jerry Yates and Owen Doyle um, really was something. Because the thing that I always loved about the pair of them was that, you could always, if you subbed off one of them, the other could quite seamlessly slip in and play that number nine position as well. Um, and as the season, as that season progressed, I think we all really appreciated the, um, the you know the brilliance of Jerry Yates and the flexibility of Jerry Yates. Uh, like he, he could he could play off of Doyle, but he could also play at position. And of course, later in the season, we had Hallam Hope um, uh, come in um, as 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 an option off the bench uh, when we maybe needed it. Um, and and I thought that they were all used really effectively in that role. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, Andrew, I'll take your view on this if you, if you don't mind. I think um, it's it really has been like one of the key positions we struggled in this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, ultimately, the the two sort of starters, Simpson and Davison, have stayed fit and produced between them a good haul of goals. But it it is that sort of lack of lack of options behind them. I think if you when you were sort of looking down the squad for most areas, if you thought one person could get injured, you'd see, you'd just about see enough of a replacement. But um when you had no Simpson or no Davison, um, you know, it, it would really kind of make a, you can only imagine what a fundamental difference it would make to, to how the team plays. Um but I think that that was sort of push us too far ahead to, to next season, finding, sort of strikers and and recruiting strikers is going to be uh, a big part of of what's going to make the the team effective whether they can fa- whether they will you know sort of find the another physical type who who can do that job whether they'll want that or whether they will try and you know look at look at playing in a slightly different way
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's very interesting isn't it i mean let's also be very very clear I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan of Josh Davison. Uh, yeah, he's got his detractors. The guy is still very, very young, very, very eager. Lots of, really, lots of willing, lots of hustle and bustle. Certainly um, blood, sweat and tears for the shirt. I think if he had played a full season with us, I think he would have probably gone on and got 20 goals. Um, as I do think Tyree Simpson would have gone and get 20 goals. But what I'm talking about is in circumstances that we had last night where it wasn't quite clicking, to have some an, another options come off the bench and just give the defense something to worry about, Chris. I think that's more my point. I think that's the kind of you know pretty much what all three of us are getting at, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it was, and it's been like that. All, I think we've probably been lucky through the season because when we had Simpson and when we've had Davison, if one of them had got injured for, I mean, when Davison first came in, he was a, uh, it was a little bit of a niggly injury there, but if one of them had had a, an injury that had kept them out for a few games, we we would have struggled because they're so key to how we play and there's no one else who could have played that role. Yeah. And I think that I've, some of the criticism that davison has got on social media today has been well
0: over the top. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, it, it just, it just, it baffles me because the, the boys are all on social media and whilst they won't necessarily come out and admit it, they, they, they all do pay attention to the comments and, I just I struggle. I understand there's a certain cathartic. That's the whole reason social media is there. I understand there's a certain sort of cathartic rant that people want to have, particularly off the back of, you know, uh, what could have been season. Um, And I think obviously everyone had set their hearts on on a trip to Wembley. Um, You know, it would have been a lovely way to end the season. um, But I do. I I mean, it just baffles me. Um, the, The the by all means, like we're saying now, yeah, Josh didn't have his best game but we are talking about a guy that's got a lot of great goals for Swindon this year and has really sweated blood for the shirt. I I can't understand what, what you think you're going to get out of, you know, just, just unleashing your wrath in the way that some people have. Um, And I'll I'll just say like, just as Vic Morgan would say, you know, just ask yourself before you hit that return button or before you scream something from the stands, just ask yourself, what is it you're trying to achieve? I just, I I just don't get it. But anyway, okay. So we've, Obviously, running through the lineup. Think, the,
1: um... One thing I want to say as well um, about uh, about Davison there as well. I think probably out of everyone in this league, Port Vale might be the hardest team for Davison to play against. Mm. Uh, it'll it, it be so, it'll be a lot more effective against a, a, a less physical team because not everyone plays like Port Vale do, and and,
0: yeah. and he's been very effective since he's come in. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Um, and I'll tell you, I'll say this for nothing, Chris. Um, as, as far as I'm aware, um, his contract's up in the summer, but Charlton Athletic have an option on that. They've uh, taken much- the option. Charlton have taken yeah. the option on him, and 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 not surprising at all. I don't. There is not. I live. I live um, very very close to uh, Charlton Athletic. I live around and amongst a lot of Charlton Athletic supporters. Uh, much for much to my frustration and annoyance, as they like to remind me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're. Um, None of them are particularly um, uh, confident that, you know, that Josh Davison will go back to the Valley and, and have an impact or that they believe that he's part of the plans. And I think taking up the option is purely a question of getting a transfer fee for him.
1: Yeah, I think it's exactly the same as what just did with Simpson. No intention yep. of playing him. They just want to make sure they get a fee because they'll get a f- I don't. Well, actually, Charlton wouldn't get a fee probably for Davison anyway because he's, he's not come through their system. Yep.
0: But that's. It, it's purely about a fee. Yeah, I completely agree. So here's a question for you guys, then, Chris. Um, do you sign him, yes or no? Uh,
1: well, how much are they asking, and uh, is is Simpson an option? It, I think it's one or the other.
0: Mm. Um, that's that's a little bit of a mercurial get out, Mister mm. Mr. Phillips. Get the splinters out of your bum, and, yeah. uh, and will you will, do you do you sign him? Do I have to say yes or no? Yeah, of course you do.
1: I would. Oh, this is a tough one. I would say no, on the hope that we can bring Simpson because I prefer Simpson. Okay. So I would say no.
0: Andrew, do you think? Um, do you think that there is a um, a legitimate interest or concrete interest in signing signing him? And if even if you don't know, would you sign him on on the basis of what you've seen?
2: Um, I'm sure. What sort of fee Charlton would ask for would uh, have an impact, no doubt. Um, do I sign him? I'm, I'm leaning. I'm leaning on the on the no side. I, I think I'm with Chris. That if you personally, I think if if I had a, a straight shot between. Simpson or Davison, and, and you are paying a roughly similar fee. Then, then Simpson has advantages in, in terms of I think what we've seen on the pitch, and of course in terms of age and development potential.
0: I, uh, so I'm going to round off our, our trio by saying, I 100% would sign him, um, on the basis that I don't think we would have to pay a king's ransom for him. Um, I, there would be, I think there would be other takers, but I think if the choice was his, I think he would want to stay at Swindon. I think he's very at home at Swindon. I think he's very at home with his, with, with his teammates. I appreciate there will be some change in the summer inevitably, but I think we'll still keep the core of our squad together. And I think under the same premise, I would be looking to sign them both. Um, and I think, um, from a business point of view, I think they're in terms of their age. And in terms of the money that we would put down for them, and I think the number of goals they would score, I think they would only become saleable assets mm. because I think they would both score enough goals. Um, I think they could they could play together because I don't think either of them are an orthodox number nine, but I think they can both play that role. But I also think they can both play as a ten. Um, so personally, I would I think the you know when if you think about swapping and changing of strikers during games, all the things we talked about. If there's a game where you may be chasing it in the last 10 minutes and you need a couple of guys that are going to cause absolute havoc um, against the re- resolute backline that Port Vale had last night, for example. I think um, I would want both of them in my squad. And I think actually Simpson would probably be because of his age and the way that he's come through, he would probably be the biggest financial concern um, in a tribunal ruling against us. Um, but Hey, listen, that's just my take. But some, um, Listen, Andrew, I'm, I'm really interested in your thoughts on this because before before the game, I I had said, and in, indeed in our show last week, I I'd kind of said, look, I think it's imperative that we get on the ball, we impose our style of play, uh, we, we don't concede early, we keep things nice and tight and we really have a good go at them. And obviously, <laughs> lo and behold, eight minutes have gone, ball across the box and James Williams taps in for 1-0. Um, what what was going through your mind at that stage?
2: Um, I think it had the potential to be a long night. I'd, I it was sort of fairly it, it kind of felt evident fairly early i think i think it's a little later into the commentary after that we were gradually saying that all the all the things we would thought or predicted about the game turned out turned out not to be the case the use of the the sort of wide open pitch being able to play around and play through uh veil vale as um you know that that didn't that didn't really happen as well um I even wondered whether Vale might actually be cagey at the start than we thought because they only needed one goal, and they had ninety minutes to get it. But um, yeah, I mean Wilson obviously missed that extraordinary chance in the first in the first kind of couple of minutes, and that they didn't learn from it. So um, you know, it, it I can't say I can't say exactly felt like a goal was coming, but it was just clear very early on that um, the side we kind of thought and hoped. And perhaps expected might turn up. But I haven't quite done so. No. The
3: thing with
1: that, I was to say the thing with that as well is over the two games, Wilson had three identical chances, two of which he scored, and one of which he should have scored. But Howard didn't learn from that uh, or whatnot because it was it was the same thing all three times. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah,
2: yeah very true. Um,
0: yeah, um, yeah, very, very, very. Ugh. I mean, it, it, it was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, I, that, that, that phrase you're using guys about, you know, particularly you, Chris, about learning from mistakes, you know, it was, cool. it, 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 could have been, I mean, it could have been an absolute horror show, um, you know, after 10 minutes, um, really quite easily. How I still cannot fathom how James Williams, uh, Wilson didn't um, polish that chance off at the back stick. But I mean, I, okay. So, but equally, we talk about other turning points in the game. Um, now, it's it's always easy to say, you know, scream handball when a ball goes into the box from one end of the pitch to the other, and and you kind of think at the back of your mind, or oh, did I really just see a handball there? But I just want to talk about Manny Egbo's cross into the box. It was quite clearly handled. I mean, from my vantage, I was right down the other end of the pitch, but from my vantage point, it was so blatant. Mm-hmm. And and what was frustrating the hell out of me in relation to last night's game was that. I'd listened to some national radio coverage about referees that have been selected for these these legs or the playoffs, and I was hoping that we'd kind of ended up picking the the you know the cream of what I think this year has been a bad lot. But I mean, Andrew, I, how, how was it from again from your vantage point? Because it was as clear as day to me. I mean, you, you I'm I'm going to guess it was clear as day for you, and you must have been as as frustrated.
2: Yeah, no, no, I think I think I think the instinct was it was it was very much it very much looked like sort of a handball from the. You know, as much as we can judge from the, the distance, yeah, yeah, I think and you know, the reaction the reaction of the players is not always is not always definitive, but it was it was sort of very strong immediately afterwards. So when you kind of add up what you think your eyes have taken in that once with the reaction of the players and you know, having seen the having seen the photo of it now, um, yeah, that's that's clearly one that, that got away from the, the officials for whatever reason
0: yeah and it, it kind of felt i mean i don't know how you feel about this chris but it kind of at that point in time and this is where i think maybe we as a as a supporter base myself included have, have got to be better but there seemed to be a a real lull amongst the swindon support at that point in time where i heard a lot of people just turning to each other saying this is that that's the most swindon town like rubber the green and and it, it really seemed to psychologically affect us at that point um, We'd, we'd got off to a roaring start the first five minutes the crowd was lovely and loud but it all there was a there was a good old lull now again maybe that was just my positioning in the stands but i'm pretty you know i, I had a long old drive home with guys that were dotted around that stand and um they were all of the opinion that it seemed to sort of like it just reminds us of, of the whole 30 years of hurt that Swindon have been enduring more often than not. And all the old, all the conversations come out about old scars and you're hearing things like the most swindany of things to happen, you know, um, uh, we've got to, somehow I've got to shrug off that malaise and and, 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 and try and help the boys beyond those sort of setbacks. Have we not? Uh,
1: yeah, we have as well, but it's like to say this, this, that's the most Swindon thing is probably a, is a phrase that everyone should use. I was actually, um, going back to the, the referee in there, speaking to uh, Hannah, Hannah Clinch earlier on Twitter about the officiating, because I actually thought across all four games that the officiating was shocking. Mm. And um, But one thing, I can't remember who I was speaking to the other week. It might have even been Jay. And um, was saying that there's no championship on, so why aren't championship referees or championship officials
0: doing these important games? Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. You're um, that listen, there, there has to for me, and I'm not just saying this off the back of end of season frustrations. What I'm saying this is over the course of a season where I've certainly hardly missed a home game this season, and a good smattering of away games. I, I come away from most games, and the, 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 the pragmatist in my head has historically always gone, uh, you know, it's rubber the green, you know, you. You know what you what you lack, what you end up losing out on in one game, it always makes itself makes up for itself at the end of the season if you're of a sufficient quality. You know, uh, we get the luck will change, blah blah blah. But I I've been coming away from games this season with a real sense of of injustice, um, and and seeing some decisions where I'm like, how have you missed that? Mm-hmm. And and the thing that frustrates me about about last mm-hmm. night is that you know, games of games of that magnitude where you're talking about the financial returns of playing at Wembley. They're talking, they're saying they're going to use VAR in the final, but yet they're not willing to do something as simple as just install a a monitor for a referee to go and check decision. I'm not talking about installing full goal line technology, but surely games of that magnitude where you've got so much riding on them, you've got to at least give these referees that quite clearly aren't up to scratch an opportunity to to go and review some of these decisions because there is no way if a referee goes and looks at that decision on a monitor, he doesn't change
4: his mind.
1: The other thing as well with you about VAR, I think, and I've I've mentioned this more than once, that VAR is a big reason why we've had these shocking officials because with VAR, the championship referees have then been bumped up to the Premier League because they need more because of VAR. So then referees from the lower level are being bumped up. So effectively, we've got non-league referees in League Two because everyone's been moved up a level because of VAR.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, get it. And, and listen, I'm, you're not going to find a bigger critic of VAR. I don't want VAR in our game. But what I'm trying to say is, look, if you're going to have it in the final, then surely you've got to have it in the semis. Like, you just have to because the stakes I- are so high. You're, I- playing under, you're playing under enormous pressure where the stakes are high, where I even heard on a commentary for the League One playoffs, the commentary team referring to the fact that the last 15 minutes of all playoff games are so crucial because everyone's playing like with, essentially, to, to to put it politely, everyone's just putting bombs into the box. You've got six, seven men being thrown up top. The pressure's on. It matters to everybody. So if they're aware of the importance of these games and the conditions these guys are playing under, then help the referees because you're saying you're going to do it in the final. So do it in the semis, it, but let's just be clear. That's, well, that, that, that might come down to actual with the
1: VAR. Obviously, VAR is set up at Wembley, but how much would it cost to put into a ground for one game?
0: Yeah, That's... well, to, to my point, Chris. Right, I I actually don't like the the you know the the creep of technology into our game mm-hmm. at all. Right, I really really don't. But I am all for. How difficult can it be for for a monitor to be Rigged up into a stadium that enable. I mean, not being funny. If if GIF can achieve it for us, mm-hmm. um, you know, within you know a, a couple of minutes of a goal, yes. then surely there, there must be ample technology for a big, big decision like that, and some sort of system where people can go, hold on a sec, like you know, you've got it mm-hmm. now. But let's just be clear, I don't want. I don't want that technology in our game at all. It's just the fact that you know if you're going to say you're going to you're going to give teams the opportunity to have wrongs righted at Wembley, then you should be doing it for the semis. Um, again, I'm not looking for excuses. It is one of those. It's it's unfortunate, but it's just uh, it's just an irritation. And and it is such a clear and obvious error that he's made there as well. I mean, the guy's arm was raised above his head in an unnatural position. The ball's hit his hand, and it's lost all its momentum. And it's it's denied us a goal, goal scoring opportunity
1: I, I don't even think that's on the referee for me that's on how do i say it? that's on the assistant referee the assistant and yeah. right in front of her how i don't know how to count she miss it she's looking straight at it is she does she not want to make a decision because the referee is there i don't mm. see how to, she's got to flag that if the no. referee
0: hasn't given it she's got to flag it yeah and and ultimately she's missed it um, and and indeed, so is the referee. Um, so, you know, uh, fundamentally, what it tells you is again, you know, I'm sure it will come out in their reviews because their games are all reviewed, and you know, you're going to have a very apologetic referee and assistant referee, um, hopefully, writing letters of apology and having their performance scrutinised because that's that's kind of what needs to happen. Well, obviously, we we, we kind of all know what what happens. I mean, a bar. An outstanding save from Lewis Ward, right on the whistle. The the game uh, at, the, at the end of extra time, game goes into penalties. We give ourselves a, a, a position where we're 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 two penalties to the good, Andrew. I mean, at, at that stage, what was the vibe in the commentary box, Andrew? Two penalties to the good. It was all looking so rosy, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, you. I'm I'm afraid I'm I'm always cautious till the team comes over the line, and there is. I don't know if this is a, a phenomenon or whether this is just one of those like human things that you tend to, you tend to notice because um, because it seems counterintuitive, but it always seems. It happens that the team that you know takes the early advantage or gets the first save in a shootout is, um, is the one that goes on on to lose. I, I think I think beforehand, um, you know, we had Steve Hale in, in the box. Obviously, as work you know worked closely with Lewis Ward as a goalkeeping coach at, at his clubs, and I think we were always confident that Lewis would have a decent chance of saving um, one or two of them, and then it, it's really down, you know, really down to the the strikers to, to convert. Yeah.
0: Well, look, what we'll try and do, we've got a, got a couple of other guys who are quite keen to come on and say their, their piece at this stage. And, um, Daz, hopefully, Daz, if you could unmute yourself, uh, Daz Smith, I'm really interested in hearing um, where Daz's head was at as we entered the um, the penalty shootout. Uh, Daz, are you able to join us? You just need to click unmute your mic. Yep. Good evening, Daz. Welcome to the St. Tom Broadbent Lounge for your show debut. How are you, buddy? Um, Better, yeah. <laughs> You're slowly recovering, are you, pal?
3: Yeah, it was. You know, I'm like every other town fan. Sad, disappointed, gutted, and at work. <laughs> What's dad's? Well,
0: that's What? Where was your? Where was your brain at? Um, two penalties to the good. Were you feeling fairly motivated at that stage?
3: Well, I was um, listening. To the match on the radio, that work, Yeah, and I'd just like to take your and thank Andrew Halls for all the um, commentary throughout the season, because do enjoy his commentary, um, and I was listening on the radio, and when we got the second penalty saved by Wardy, I was all beside myself, ran into uh, the crew room where one of the guys was watching it on his mobile phone and said, oh, it's a minute behind. I said, oh, I I, I can't listen, I've got to listen, I can't listen, I've got to listen. So I went back in, and then when Josh Davidson went to take his penalty, and for all, I just believed that he'd scored. So I come running back into the crew room, shouting and hollering, yes, yes, and then watched the penalty on my mate's mobile, only to see him miss. And I thought, no, I said, that's it. And this thing about, well, that's a really Swindon thing, and that Yeah, that was. That that was a Swindon thing. I've been supporting them since the 70s. And uh, yeah, that was a Swindon thing.
0: And I'll tell you, Daz, the, the sad thing as well. I really felt for Josh because certainly amongst the squad, you know, Josh takes a cracking penalty, and he's yeah, one of the definitely. lads. That, he's one of the lads you would have absolutely like, you know, bet your mortgage on him burying. Um, and you know, it was, it was a decent. I mean, it was, it was an all right penalty, decent enough save. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, fundamentally, is that there's that term again. I mean, I'll bring um, Daz if you don't mind. I'm gonna gonna bring James on as well at this stage. Okay. Um, sure. Going. well, welcome to the show this evening, buddy. Um, where, yeah. where, was, where was your head at, pal, in relation to um, you know, obviously two penalties up at that stage? I, I, like me, I'm hoping you were kind of, you know, you you were frothing, as I like to say.
5: Yeah, it was a um, a weird one for me. I had to because I tonight to to leave the game early because I had to work early in the morning, and I was luckily managed to get an Uber. Just back to Stoke Station time for the for the penalty shootout, and I just hit it when I follow, and it was just absolute agony. Listening listening to it and not being on the ground, and just kind of, I think my feed was a bit behind, and seeing kind of Port Vale fans on the other side of the platform going back to know, Stafford or or whatever, and it was just an absolute sucker punch when when all I had seen everyone else celebrating, just being really. Town fan there, really. It was just an absolute kick in the teeth. But, you know, we've been through this stuff before. We'll, we'll go again next season, I guess. no way, really.
0: Oh, yeah, I, th- I think we were. I mean, how... Uh, you know, I don't, it's, it's a lottery, isn't it? At the end of the day, you know, you've, I've, I've been to... I've, I've seen town take penalties under extreme pressure where people that... Up to... The- you don't you don't believe they're going to be able to bury them. And I'll mention some names to you. You'll remember the Charlton shootout, James, where I remember Kev, Kevin and stepping up and I'm thinking, I I can't imagine Kevin just doesn't he's not got the feel of a penalty taker about him. Yeah, he's a he's a you know, he's a he's a big solid kind of gangly fullback. And but at the end of the day, it's just about putting the ball in from 12 yards. So but all the weird things that go through your mind when the various players are stepping up to take penalties, I didn't have any real concerns with any of I didn't have any of those thoughts as our guys were stepping up to take the penalties i think i would have i genuinely felt that you know ellis josh and harry all all had it in them to hit the back of the net um and so it was just sort of i don't know it's it's almost it's even hard for us to kind of it's hard for me to to sort of bring this to life as a topic of conversation because the the run-ups all look solid i mean was there anything you saw james that made you think ah he's gonna miss this
5: Okay, I, 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 I didn't actually. Well, I kind of had it on, kind of. I follow in Sky and stuff, and oh, uh, so you were listening to just... of watching
0: the I Follow feed?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of watched them afterwards, but um, it is a lot, isn't it? Penalties that you can really look at. It. I mean, the only one who really has proper um, kind of it's just no one knows what they're doing unless it's in the moment. I mean, I suppose. And they've
0: all been been practising, James, as well, haven't they? This is the thing, like, you know, Ben Garner have made it very clear they've all been practising. I know that I heard some comments about people saying, well, Ellis took a penalty, you know, with the crowd behind him at the county ground and he missed it and it wasn't a great penalty earlier, you know, a few weeks ago and people were... You know, but I mean, none of that matters. Like, you know, it doesn't... it, It genuinely has very, very little bearing in my mind. It just comes down to... You know, the luck of stepping up, striking, picking your spot, striking, it, and just hoping for the best. It's, it's you can't turn around and start criticizing someone. You know, and you can't make an ability criticism at that stage. Like, it, it literally just comes down to nerve, does it not?
5: Well, yeah, so I mean, it's more than the ability, isn't it? Because it is a strike from 12 yards, isn't it? Like, I think it is the whole idea of it is about the mental side of it, I think. The other um, um, thing
1: that they were about, the, about the run ups, McCurdy's run up was a, uh, a bit different.
5: Uh, I, I didn't think he, he didn't look confident with that run-up. No, I think you're right. I think but that that's all part of it, I think. I think run-up is one of those things. You, you, yeah. I think you see a lot, certainly with penalty takers and stuff, you have to do what you're comfortable with. I mean, if it's a two-step run-up, that's the one you have to do. I think you see a lot of... I don't know you have like, Frank, great penalty takers. Like, I mean, even like Jorginho, his run-up is a bit of a... um Theatrical one, but if it works, in it's kind of the thing that you're kind of used to. That's the thing you have to go with. So I don't think. I a lot has made over that kind of stuff, and I get it in terms of positioning of foot and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah you just have to know what you're comfortable with because that's the well, I, thing that really matters.
0: James, James, I'll tell you what. I mean, if there is one thing that I would say about you know about penalties, and and it's always easy, it, you know, the day after when it's not gone your way, that you know you can make these kind of ju- judgments and criticisms, but I would like to think all of those lads have got a routine and that all of those guys, right. Irrespective, you know, would, would take time in their training day to work out a penalty routine that works for them. And and by that, I mean the best penalty of all of them last night by a country mile was our natural penalty taker. Jack Payne's penalty It was exactly the same approach, exactly the same run up. Um, He had a, a, you know, everything about that penalty was like, this guy's going to break the net as, as so it proved. Now I, that would be my only outtake. But I, I would be interested to know how how much the guys practice penalties. But not not from a point of view that – because, listen, at the end of the day, they've got enough to fill their days with in terms of, you know, perfecting protect, perfecting their own positioning, etc. You know, the, the chances of a penalty shootout right at the end of se- a season is probably something that's very easy to just park. But well, I will, I will say this. The, re- the reason I'm the, – the point I'm trying to make is – I am uh, very lucky a few years ago to go and spend a, a period of time out in Italy uh, watching uh, youth football and youth development. And what's very interesting out there in the, in the, in the, and I think this is, I was told it's rolled out across all of their youth systems. Every single game, regardless of result, ends in a penalty shootout where every one of the kids takes a penalty. And I, I remember thinking that's very, very unusual. It's very odd. But nonetheless, as my friend pointed out to me at the time, he said, we're very proficient, Italy, at taking penalties, aren't we? Now, all right, you could argue USA 94 and all the rest of it. However, it's a, it's a good point, isn't it? Because you don't see a lot of that in, in youth football in the UK. Um, and you do tend to find conversations about penalty taking only tends to come out. And the, and the media only tend to ask that question when we're starting to get towards the business end of the season. It's, it's an interesting point you make there,
1: Hannah, because I spent a bit, a bit of time in, in Canada in uh, near Halifax. Went to a lot of game, pre-season games there, and so what they do is that they have played the a game, and then after the game they have a, they have a shootout. Yeah. So that they practice that because obviously if, if the score's level in in, in hockey, you, you finish it with a shootout. The other thing I wanted to say was, was there a tattoo riding on Ellis's penalty?
0: <laughs> yeah, there absolutely was. And do you notice there's somebody missing out of our uh, listener list tonight, Chris? <laughs> he's, he's 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 at home. Kind of, kind of obviously commiserating, but at the same time celebrating the fact that he's got away with it this year.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and and I might add, there was also a, I'm also a beneficiary of penalties last night. Mm. any eagle-eyed listeners to the show will um, remember that I've got a, I had a bet riding with a certain Mr. Caddis that um, should we have got promoted because Paul was absolutely certain we're going up this year, that I would be getting uh, Paul Caddis's face tattooed on my uh, posterior. Um, at the end of the season And um, I'm, All I'm going to say is this I'm going to be very Very interested As to whether or not Paul comes good In terms of having Hashtag The Sir Tom Broadbent lounge Tattooed on his bottom cheek mm-hmm. And I think With a little bit Of social media uh, A little bit of social media uh, Pressure We can probably see that happen Because Tom Broadbent was in the stands With us For the uh, um, For the first leg And uh, Tom Absolutely said That he's going to be Putting pressure on From his head Because he thinks It's the right thing to do So Mr Cadis, If you're listening and even if you're not listening, and you're listening in later down the line, I'm coming for you. That's all I'm willing to say. Um, okay, so listen, let's. There's a, there's a bit of an elephant in the room, and I, I kind of sense that we're going to get a lot of people wanting to come on and talk about, um, you know, what happened after the penalty shootout. Because um, I think we've kind of done the penalties to death in that respect. But before we do that, I just got to stress that. Um, you know there is a certain legal responsibility on our shoulders to make sure that we are not affecting what is now a live police investigation. Um, but nonetheless, we will be talking about the signposting that's gone out today, um, and we will be urging people if they've got um, information, evidence, images, etc., we're going to make sure that they get signposted in the right direction. But I've just got to make that very, very clear, guys. Um, we can't, we cannot join this uh, and affect an ongoing police investigation. Um, and if if I sense the conversation starts going down that road, then quite clearly we're we, we're not going to be able to go into the sort of depth that maybe some people want to go into. Um, but a um, couple a couple of new faces have joined us. Um, uh, Max, if you unmute your mic, mate, um, please please feel free to join us tonight if you can. Uh, Max Springer, if you are listening, how are you, Max? Good evening. Welcome to the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge, buddy. It's your debut on the show. How are you?
6: I had a nice one, yeah. Um... Just been a, a long day at work, not really getting a lot done. But,
0: <laughs> Suffering like we all are.
6: Yeah, just it, yeah. one of those. It, it's the it, first time. It, so it's the first time that I've actually seen town in extra time and penalties in person. Yeah, as well. So that was a, a new experience seeing that in 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 person, and yeah, just gutted. Yeah, gutted, I'm mean, gutted, gutted for Ellis especially of yeah. all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: completely with you. And, I, and I'll tell you why, not only is Ellis a really, really good guy, obviously all of Ellis's family were present. Um, Ellis, for me, um, after a, a kind of an, an indifferent start to the season at left back, as we've, we've spoken about, and nonetheless, well, obviously, we've been talking about, you know, certain sort of um, jokey tattoos and whatnot that we had agreed with young Tyler. Um Ellis had, Ellis's season had really blossomed and Ellis had got to a stage where he won both our listeners award and our panels award at Tom Broadbent Lance for most improved player this year. Um, and the context behind that was that Ellis's transformation into a left-hand a left-sided centre midfielder um was absolutely outstanding as we um, started entering um you know the the business end of our season. And it was it was really pleasing to see because Ellis is obviously our longest serving pro. Um but uh, but also Ellis is, Ellis is a bloody, bloody good
6: technical footballer. Um yeah, he's probably he's a tight ty- properly tidy, tidy player, especially yeah. the second half of the season. He's been one of the ones you know you can just depend on. And it's been nice to see him have a relatively injury free season as well, and he's shown us what he can do. Yeah. And it's been so good to see because it was the same. I remember I was actually at Port Bay all the day when he had his he had his leg broke a couple of years ago. And it was a it was a similar thing then that he had that was his first really really good run in the team that got yeah. disrupted. But yeah. I know is he contracted for next year, Ellis? Uh, I be- yeah, I believe. Yes, he is.
3: He
6: is. So that's um, like like and hopefully he can just carry on straight from where he's not from straight from where he's left top obviously. I'm just gutted for him in the way that because he was solid in, in in the actual game. I don't think he put much of it wrong, especially some of the in the first half. When we were under the cosh. He got the ball a couple of times and drove into their box and really produced some good chances for us as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. He was he was asking questions in a way that you know Manny Egbo seemed to be uncharacteristically um, off form a little last night at certain points. Um, <laughs> he was he was certainly um, one of our most progressive players. So yeah, I mean it was really hard on really hard on Ellis last night. Really really wretched luck. I mean if you're going to be super critical, I'm never really a fan of. Um, obviously every player takes them and Vale hit a couple of that. Out- Mal Benning's pe- penalty straight into the top corner in particular, I remember thinking mm. under pressure, that is a solid penalty. But, you know, both both Harry and Ellis opted to go for top bins and it didn't quite work for them at the time. Ugh, again, you know, listen, you, we can sit and criticise it all you like. You know, there are, and they won't, they won't sort of, you know, they won't criticise me for saying this. You know, there are much better Greater world class players mm. that have done exactly the same thing under pressure: Roberto Baggio, Chris Waddle. Two names that immediately spring to mind. So, if they felt comfortable going high with the penalties, good luck to them. Um, unfortunately, on the night, it just kind of wasn't quite to be. But um, well, look, like, mean, it's also saying... worth. Oh, sorry
5: to interject. It's oh, also on, kind of worth saying our last kind of big playoff um, penalty shootout at Brentford. Um, kind of sprang to mind when I was kind of thinking about kind of the reaction set to Ellis and and Harry in terms of when you think about the scenes, the very kind of public scenes of what happened with Miles' story when you had like Al, uh, Al Alan McCormack, like massive senior players behind them who didn't have the bottle to go go up and take one. And at least all of those kind of top pros, they, every, everyone there stood up yesterday, Yep. There wasn't anyone who was kind of carrying. So I think a penalty, yeah. if you gave us at the start of the season. Okay, like I don't want to go too much about like oh what happened last summer and all that kind of stuff because in that kind of ninety minutes it kind of doesn't matter to an extent. But you know, it, if you gave us at the start of the season a penalty shootout away from Wembley, you take that. So I think anyone who looks at the season as a failure because of last night is. A moron, um. Because this has been a fantastic season for this football club that has probably revitalised it
6: from a potential death. Now, so yeah. Well, James, yeah. Is, well, I think I think we first met and spoke properly on the train to that Melksham game in pre-season when that. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I remember mentioning this could be the last swing game I watch on that day. So it's come kind of where we are. It yeah, is, I mean, it's, just, it's just the way it's ended, isn't it? I think that's why there's been so much outburst, And there's always going to be outbursts in a big loss. Like this, but I think just the way it happened. Yeah. And, I mean, listen, Max... But they, all Jack, the perfect, but they all had the perfect game plan. They pressed us to death and it nullified us completely, especially in the first 20, 25 minutes as well.
0: Yeah, I mean... I, Uh, Listen, Max, you you both make absolutely like solid points and a couple of them like we really should sort of spend a bit of time just picking apart. I mean, um, Andrew, I bring you in at this point, you know, talking about the fact that I mean, James raises that point about all of our senior pros stepped up last night, didn't they? That was a very whilst whilst the end point was very and there were certainly echoes of the Brentford playoff. Um, you've got to give every single one of those lads like full backing and support off the back of that game last night for having the bottle to step up and take it and 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 not um, you know um, you know not be the shrinking violet.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think when you sort of look down the initial the initial five, there's no you know there was no there was no one who you thought oh I'd expect them to see them take one who didn't come come forward and take one. So you, you kind of look at that positive. And then of course you know once you once you're down to you know six seven or eight you are you are inevitably working your way down the list because you think the only two outfield players who didn't take a penalty were Matthew Baudry who missed one in a playoff final for Orient and therefore probably um has some scars of that and Jake O'Brien who you uh put in the sort in the sort of um Kevin Amanquar players you wouldn't expect to see and take a penalty and scored so everyone has kind of you know s- stepped up in turn really when they're when their duty called and and that i'm mean, just going back a little bit i, th- I think as you said for mo- for most of them the the sort of process and the the run-up all looked fine with with mccurdy being the exception um whether it's just his style or not he he did look a little bit like he wanted to it to be over as quickly as possible but the, the rest of them the way the sort of fairly methodical way they they seem to approach it i don't think you can have any complaints about no no
0: um Right. we're good. Okay. I mean, I mentioned, you know, let's, let's, let's leave. I think we'll move on for the, on from the penalties now. And um, I'm, I'm just going to start the next segment by reading something that just made me feel sick to my stomach essentially. And I could have picked any, any one of the tweets, but I, I, I have asked and I completely understand why, um, you know, um, Phil hasn't necessarily um, been keen to sort of come on and actually bring this topic to life. Cause it's very, very personal thought that he put out there. But Phil Reed, father of Louis Reed, said said the following today around lunchtime. I can honestly say that in the eight years Louis has been a professional, last night was the first time I feared for my son's safety on a football pitch. This has to stop. The football authorities and the police need to stamp down on it hard. Now, I as I left the as, as the as the the, the carnage, as I'm going to call it, unfolded last night. I'm, I'm going to tell you my personal story just to sort of add a layer to this and why I maybe at first missed what was going on with the players and uh, and such like. Um, I was, um, and I say roped in, and I mean that with great affection, I was roped into helping the Great Western Reds last night with their TIFOs and their flags. And it was with immense pleasure that I did that. And I'll tell you why it gave me immense pleasure. Um, You don't necessarily get to appreciate the... The the positivity and the this has made my day factor that handing a flag, a giant flag to a young kid around the age of, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old actually has. And it really hit me last night as I was passing these giant flags along the front row of the away end and seeing these young kids faces absolutely light up and the pride on their faces. As a father myself, um, I don't mean to get overly emotional about it, but as a father myself, I absolutely loved every second of seeing these kids' faces light up. And then the comments from their parents, you know, oh, what, what a wonderful thing to be able to do. Um, you know, Jay Collett got enormous amounts of credit from a whole host of people around the front of the stand yesterday. And um, the Great Western Reds have their detractors. I, I still can't understand why, but some people like to give them a bit of a boot. Um, I think personally, you need to give your head a wobble if you do, because I've seen nothing but positivity and atmosphere from what they've done this year, and no, none more so than last night. So you can you can imagine. Um, As the final whistle goes, I'm stood there essentially in a state of shock, had my hands in my pockets, my shoulders were a bit shrugged. I looked at the players, I was a bit crestfallen, um, but I was pretty emotionless. And I would say no more than 10, 15 seconds later, um, no more than 15, 20 feet from me, there was a lineup of, um, I would say, um, a good... A good 10, 10 or so um, local fans, and I, I don't want to call them fans. Um, I hope they don't represent Port Vale in any way, but they came out of the home end. And I had everything from people grabbing their groins um, in my and, and sort of gesturing in my direction. I had, uh, and I might, I might hasten to add, I had males, I had females, all making obscene gestures in my direction. Um, baiting the crowd um, in a way that was only ever going to get or designed to get some form of negative reaction from supporters of Swindon Town Football Club. Now, let me just go back to the point about flags. All right. Those flags were all in the hands of youngsters. I looked to my left, I looked to my right as the baiting started. All those kids were still there and their parents were desperately trying to usher those kids away. Um, I started fearing the worst at that stage because I thought, right, I hope these kids can get to the back of the stand and and out as quickly as possible. As the bottles started raining in to the town end. And then the little glistening that you know are coins going flying in, uh, sorry, into the town fans, not the town end, the coins and all kinds of debris. And I started, I had bottles whizzing past my head. You know, I would uh, listen. I will point out that the bottles did seem to be getting returned with interest um, from some sort of sections of the swindling crowd as well, from what I could see. Because unless they've uh, suddenly developed boomerang characteristics, um, they were certainly being thrown back. And then what you ended up having was this ridiculous game of um, let's see who could lust the bottle at each other hard enough. Um, Much to my absolute disgust, um, you know, junior autism and junior autism's parents, uh, I'm sure they have a role with juniors account then told a story today um, about having to essentially cower away from debris being um, sent into into the Swindon fans. And it just seemed to get progressively worse. You know, the, the 10, 15 suddenly turned into 20-odd people. And the town fans were then urging the stewards to take action. There were It seemed to me that they're, I mean, it's so dynamic. I was trying to take shelter at one point from objects that were being thrown in. But then there was this curious exchange between me and and this chap that was stood in front of me with what looked like his his female partner, um, the chap had, uh, how could I describe it? This guy must have been in his late 50s, early 60s. He was wearing a port veil shirt. He was wearing a pair of jeans. And the chap um, was deliberately trying to provoke a reaction from me. And I know that because he was stood there and he was looking directly at me. He was pointing directly at me. And he was trying to elicit a response. My response to him was to essentially to stand there to the point where I knew I'd made eye contact and I just mouthed at him, grow up. Now, what I saw from him was quite something because he suddenly went from being in in an absolute red faced rage to almost like finding himself again, at which point he seemed to grab his female partner, turn around and walk off. Um, Now, I'm not trying to say that there was restraint on my part or whatever, but I just think it opens a window on so much of what was going on last night, the things I've just said. And, at, 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 I mean, at, at this point, I'd like to, um, you know, bring one of you guys in for, you know, for your thoughts. Um, Alex, were you at the game last night? And, and if so, did you say similar things to me?
4: ah uh. Yeah, I was I was at the game, obviously you can probably tell my voice is pre- pretty much gone. I'm just having a couple of Budweisers to try and get it back. But um yeah, um uh, absolute disgrace. I mean I've had a couple of again, I've got to be quite careful on social media, but I've had a couple of arguments, none more than uh, the, the famous Johnny Wilkes and you know, he he's sort of on there condoning you know, not condoning and whatever about the fans, but you know, they're they're sort of talking about a minority. I mean to me there was there was hundreds of them goading, you know gesturing mouth and off and like you say it's it's the small kids who are going to be scarred from that um bottle sort of just brushed past me hit a girl behind me she must have been in her teens hit her square in the face and she started crying it was just an awful awful end to an awful day really and i say that you know as much as you can kind of enjoy one of those days it was just awful um personally for me it starts with the student and the police you know we were we were like one of the last ones out and it was only at that point the police started forcing them back. Why aren't they in there and forcing them back straight away? They had probably, what, five, or five six minutes? It probably seemed like a lot longer, but maybe five, six minutes of being able just to do what they want to us without any, you know, reprimand from from anyone. It's yeah, just disgraceful behaviour, really.
0: I mean, you know, the, the one thing that I will say, and I, and I did look around, and there were people that were producing their mobile phones and, and recording a lot of this, um, you know, that, that is, um, you know, potential evidence, and Staffordshire Police and Wiltshire Police are coordinating an investigation now, and are urging supporters with anything on their mobile phones um, or any other any other observations um, to contact Staffordshire Police by dialing 101, uh, which is the non-emergency line that you use to call the police. For those of you that don't know, and I believe that is incident reference two three one of the nineteenth. So incident two, three, one of the 19th um, and and share what you've got. Um, because, you know, these, these people, Port Vale as a club have come in for a lot of criticism today from, from large quarters of Swindon town because of obviously things that had unfolded. But let's, let's remember, um, you know, Port, Port Vale are a club. You know, what, what happened yesterday was, was ultimately meted out by individuals and those individuals are a stain on that club and a stain on that club's reputation those individuals need to be identified. Those individuals need to be banned. And those individuals need to, you know, need to, you know, to to realise that, you know, the, those those scenes are not welcome at football grounds. Now, it's a real shame for me because, you know, I'd i gone through a, a wonderful period of, of football supporting where I thought that we'd dealt with racism in football. I felt that we'd dealt with hooliganism in football. I thought that these all these things were on the decline, had been dealt with. You know that all the good work that you know, let's kick it out had undertaken, and you know all these all these organisations that have done so much good to educate people in football, and and then there was talk of this sort of stuff creeping back into the game, and I was thinking, that how bad can it be? Is this just you know rightly so? Let's not be complacent. Is this just over diligence? But the scenes that I saw last night were some of the worst scenes that I've I have seen at a football match live, um, and and it, it breaks my heart to see. A lovely kid like Junior Autism, who has been posting the most wonderful sort of heart, you know, sort of warm hearted stuff on social media, and um, really opening our kind of the supporter experience to a whole new audience of youngsters, particularly youngsters with vulnerabilities. Why should that young man be posting stuff about avoiding missiles at a football game? We're talking about a kid that's ten years old at best. I mean, that's that's outrageous, Alex, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'd go back to as well, and I mean, uh, a couple of the lads that are listening will have heard my thoughts about Daryl Clark yesterday even before he got sent off. I mean, you know, the bloke's had some, you know, terrible news happen to him. It doesn't it doesn't matter. We've all, we've all got, I've, I sent a tweet out earlier, we've all gone, gone, sorry, had grief in our lives and it doesn't make you have to behave in a certain way. But his behaviour on that touchline, home and away, that home tie, the amount of grief, them three lads, is it Dean Whitehead, um Daryl Clark and Crosby, I think. The amount of grief that that fourth official got, you know, the verbal abuse he was getting home and away. Daryl Clark's running on the pitch, then he does what he does to, to Dion. You know, it stems from the top. What sort of, um, you know, what is he, what is he, you know, I can't find the word, sorry, but the fans are looking at him and, you know, he's he's trying to punch Dion, you know, headbutt Dion. You know, he's g up the fans and, he, you know, fine, G up the fans in one way, but... You know, you've got to look at yourself as a management team. What are you, you know, as a as a role model to young kids? They're looking at them, going, "Oh, it's all right for our manager to go and, you know, get stuck into Dion. Oh, we'll run over there and get stuck into the Swindon
6: fans. Am I right or wrong with that? I'm not sure, but hmm.
4: he was well, a disgrace for me.
6: Well, I, I going to of- that, like uh, it, it just contributed to the hostile atmosphere there was from I thought from pretty much as soon as I I walked into the ground. I mean, so I live up north, so I ex- I pretty much exclusively go to away games and. I've never felt so uncomfortable, and especially obviously at the end, unsafe at an away game. And I mm-hmm. think like a big part of that was like your manager does sort of set your manager can set the tone of he's acting like that. Mm. I it's, think it's,
4: it's all three of them. Though. That's the thing. It's it's all three of them are like well, it. You yeah. see them getting at the fourth official. Um, you know, you know. I'm on the pitch before games, and and. Um... Even when they were warming up on the home leg, you know, they're not, they're not the nicest of people. They don't say hello to you. They sort of, you know, look down at you and sort of, you know, from that, from that, you know, you always can tell what, what, you know, what these people are like when you get on the pitch and you, you know, they ask you where you want them, you know, where do you want us to warm up? And, you know, most teams are absolutely sound. You'll have a conversation on the pitch with them. But then Port Vale lot, top to bottom, I just, I think they're in the same league as Bristol Rovers and Oxford to me now.
0: Well, okay. So listen, I mean, I think, um, I mean, listen. A couple of interesting points in relation to sort of setting the tone, all right? And and I had a, um, I had an interesting exchange, and it wasn't a hostile exchange, but with a town fan earlier today, where um, you know he he used the terms, um, you know, basically like young young kids, essentially. I'm trying to remember it for baiting, but it was something along the lines of you know these young kids turning up, wannabe hooligans, you know, you know, acting like this, acting like that, and. And my, my point was, well, look, I didn't actually, I think it's wrong to just sort of label this as an issue with, you know, sort of mid-teens dressing up in Stone Island, drinking drinking booze, taking drugs and then going to football. I, I, I think that was what was kind of, I'm, I'm not going to put it to that, that chap's sort of tech suite itself, but that was kind of what's being alluded to here. What I saw was a lot of guys that were actually my age or older, behaving like that and these guys weren't wearing the kind of typical kind of garments that you associate with people that cause trouble at football these guys were wearing replica shirts they were dressed just like i was at the game um they clearly just got well beyond themselves and they were acting in a manner where i just stood there thinking like would you you wouldn't what would your boss think if you were acting like that what would your what would your kids at home think if you're acting like that?" that and here is my point the the young the younger lads that are coming through and lasses because it wasn't just guys uh, that, that were doing this yesterday. There was one particular female that um, was it was like she was completely possessed by her own rage. Um, but the guys that were doing this were you know that they themselves are setting the tone. So it's interesting, Alex, that you talk about club management setting the tone, but but actually. I think we've all got to be mindful of our own behaviour in and around the grounds as well and setting the tone because you know for for me I'm a little bit old fashioned in in that I believe that you know it it you know parents set the tone for their kids behaviours are learned from people and 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 I can't help but think there are a lot of people yesterday that could have been set in a better tone that are age responsible to set that tone that maybe simply weren't, were setting completely the wrong tone and sending out the wrong messages. And it wasn't the young brigade. I don't know about your thoughts on that. The one thing I'll say about that as well, Hannah, is um,
1: there was a video actually for, from the, uh, I think it was from the bottom end of the Don Rogers of, of the home leg when they were goading them. And, and the, the worst bloke of it was probably a guy about the same age as me. I've got three daughters. And I wouldn't, and imagine they're doing something like that. Yeah, and uh, it's and, and like I say, I've I've probably been to eight hundred and fifty Swindon games over 30, 30, 35 years, and that's the worst
4: I've ever seen, ever experienced. And, and yeah, I just started with Sorry, just to butt no, in no, on no. um, with the um with the away fans. Obviously, normally after a game, I go up to the Stratton Bank end. I roll the Skybet mats in and start getting the uh, Stratton Bank uh, goal out, and Marcus and another lad sort of go down to the town end. So I sort of take a little bit of a risk when there's fans in the Stratton Bank. But I, I mentioned it on the way up yesterday to the lads. Port Vale were by far the worst at, you know, chucking stuff at me, verbal abuse. I mean, Rovers, when we drew 1-1, I had, I had great banter with Rovers. And if you think out of anyone in the league, you think they're the ones that are going to chuck stuff at me and chuck me a load of abuse. Actually, they were just more, you know, bantery. Whereas Port Vale were actually vicious towards me. You know, I'm only rolling a sky bet, and I'm not looking at them. I'm not trying to goad them, nothing. And it's kind of, I kind of already had my back about Port Vale before even going there last night. So it probably didn't come as much of a surprise to me of their behaviour, to be honest.
0: Well, Alex, look, I just want to make that clear. You know, the, the attention that that I was getting in particular, um, the goading that I was on the receiving end of, I was stood amongst a really diverse group of supporters You know, I was stood with um, a lady that's, you know, probably got, and she probably won't thank me for saying this, but I was stood with a lady that probably had about 10, 15 years on me, clearly had a young daughter with her. Um, I was stood amongst um, a lot of kind of very, very young supporters who were just literally there, had been waving the flags. And I personally was doing nothing more than standing there with, with with, first of all, with my hands in my pockets. And then my response to the goading was to ignore it and just start picking up flags and rolling flags up. And there were there were there were guys that were my age and older and girls, my age and older and indeed some of the younger, some younger females that was trying to trying desperately to get some form of reaction from me like it was sport. Now, my act my attitude to that has always been we don't react because you don't give them the oxygen they need to breathe. But um, but I, I will go back. It's interesting you say that about um, Chris made the point about, you know, goading and, and whatnot. You know, let's let's not I'm not going to for a minute. Going to say that we don't have, you know, an element of our supporters that get overexcited and behave in a manner that that isn't right. And you've only got to look at recent news and stories that have broken in the advert with, you know, I think it's 15, 20 odd supporters that have been charged with offences relating to the Bradford game. So it's it's not that we don't we we're, we're not we're not whiter than white. But last night I've got to give Swindon fans enormous credit in the large part because. There was no attempt to get on the pitch at the final whistle. Not that there would have been, because we didn't have much to celebrate. But there was no attempt to get on the pitch when all this was going wrong either. You know, there was a, there was real restraint showed by the town fans. And I'm sure that that's going to come out. Well, I hope that comes out in the investigation as well. But what I would say is anyone that is responsible for throwing things back on the pitch, if you do have your collar felt, you've only got yourself to blame. Because you you can't, you can't react like that. You know, we we owe it to our club to not react like that. You know, to not respond, um, and sometimes turning the other cheek. I know it's hard, but turning the other cheek is what needs to be done because don't don't lower yourself. You know, and that was that that was regrettable that there were. You know, I can't. You know, I I, I didn't genuinely. I'm not. I'm not saying this because I'm conveniently forgetting. I genuinely didn't see because there were so many people. These are these things were coming from way back in the crowd because that's where they landed, um, and it was outrage. But I've got to say, there, you know, there, there was restraint from, from town fans. But here's a, a question. I don't mind who answers it. But here's a question for you then. So we talk about, we've used that wonderful word shit housing and Swindon's, Swindon's approach to the dark arts in this game. And there, there were moments in the first leg we, we picked up bookings for, you know, gamesmanship and things like that. And, you know, we were very clear. There were certain times where our fans weren't returning the, you know, the ball to the pitch, et cetera. I can't honestly say I didn't, I'm not aware of anything going beyond that. Um, so I, I, I mean, so I don't know if anyone else, I mean, let's try and bring a Swindon fan in here with your wonderful red spectacles. Sir. Um, what's, um, what's your, um, what's your take on it in terms of our fans behavior over the last two legs? I, I
4: think that they have been, they, I think to me, they have been pretty good. Like
0: McCurdy was a legend yesterday
4: that he had like coin thrown in him. Um, as you've said, you also heard the coins being thrown. And I haven't heard any allegations of Swindon fans throwing coins or anything onto the pitch. It was only because Port Vale fans to me have only been saying that we were throwing seats onto the pitch, apparently. But I, I again, I haven't really seen any evidence of that because I was just watching it from my, my, my TV. Uh, so I, I didn't get a lot of view from the Swindon fans, but they, they, did, they weren't like that. To me, they weren't acting really aggressive at
0: all. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, again, listen, I understand that tempers run high and all the rest of it, and maybe I'm I'm just a, in some people's minds a boring old fart, but I can't I can't get my head around the logic of anyone that would want to break a seat and throw it onto the pitch. Um, but I left when I left the ground, um, as I have turned to walk away, there was a fragment of the yellow seat um, that made its way down near me, and I've got to tell you, the first thing that hit me, that 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 struck me, excuse the pun, was. I mean, looking at it, the thing was like bloody great sharp edges on it. I wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted that in the side of my head. And it's not are you honestly telling me that you can throw a, a, a segment of a chair uh, with any kind of great accuracy. If that had struck me on the back of my bald head, that would have really done some damage. So, yeah, thank for whoever, whoever did that. Thanks very much for considering my safety and that of all the other kids that were around me at the time. Um, you know, again, give your head a wobble. Uh, and again, if you do get your collar felt, you've only got yourself to, you know, you've only got yourself to um, uh, to blame in that respect. But, uh yeah, I, I mean, very, very frustrating. I think um, I mean, and, you know, again, Andrew, I appreciate your, your broadcasting responsibilities here. And I don't want to drag you into any kind of legal sort of um, sort of, you know, hot water or, or compromise your position with with your employer. But. The thing that struck me, looking back over the highlights, was as the final whistle goes, what you normally tend to get in those instances is a congregating of fans around the halfway line and then around Players Tunnel and whatnot. And it seemed to take a very long time, that large flock of crowd that seemed to sort of be intent on heading towards the away end to then make their way back to the centre circle. Was that evident from a slightly more elevated perch?
2: Yeah, no, I, I I, I think I would say that, yeah, it did feel like when the pitch invasion happened that There was a greater proportion than usual heading heading for or gathering for that that Swindon end. I think that I think from what I I saw and I can remember seeing that was that was fair. That that's kind of fair comment. I would I do remember thinking at the time. Yet there there is definitely a proportion here who have come to go to that end and you know um, give it large to put it uh, very politely to the. To the Swindon fans, and then you do see you do see the bottles going. I did. I did see. Um, just for the record, I did see one or two, one or two seats come back from the the Swindon end, and there was some some bottle throwing. So in, in the interest of balance, I should probably I should probably say that. But clear, but you know, you could you could clear you could kind of see the the bottles coming into the the away end pretty clearly. Coins obviously harder to discern from however far back we were. But yeah, there were, there was a sense that that was a. That was not quite the normal pitch invasion i didn't I must admit I was kind of more looking at that, so I didn't really kind of pick up nearly so much what was going on with the the players as they were trying to trying to escape
0: yeah and and let's i mean let's let's spend a little bit of time on that because how how it gets to a stage where anyone in their right mind has been wound up to the point where I mean again we need to be very, very clear here because I'm not I don't think any of us will have seen all the footage or maybe what led to it. And I'm sure there will be counterclaims and such <laughs> like but we've we have seen fairly graphic images um of Swindon Town players on social media with facial injuries. Um we've seen very graphic images of Swindon Town players um ending up on the ground. And if it's what I think I saw today. Um, a, a kind of mob um, descend on a on a player that ends up on the ground before rather large um um sort of um, sort of uh, bib wearing swindon players that were in the area were then sort of gathering around and, and, and pushing people away and and trying to get their teammates to safety and i mean I, I can't i cannot get into my head what goes through your mind to that that you would want to approach and attack a professional athlete you know what something goes horribly horribly wrong when you i mean imagine would you would you go and watch a stand-up comedian and i appreciate that it's ironic given some of the things that have happened but you wouldn't go and watch a stand-up comedian having a having a you know a a bit of fun with the with the audience and then expect the audience on mass to rush the stage and start attacking the, the comedian at the end of a show i mean it's Yes, there have been some incidents recently, some high-profile things that have happened that have all been across the press. But there seems to be this growing—I mean, it's been a really bad couple of weeks, Andrew, hasn't it? For you know, for pro- professional athletes being be, being approached and and abused and attacked by fans that seem to think they can act with impunity.
2: Yeah, and it it's, it has started to become a, a kind of consistent pattern for these past, I think. I think for, you know, the all the ones the home sides have, have won this week, Nathan Jones was pretty angry about whatever happened after um Huddersfield v. Luton. I remember watching the the end of that and seeing that the um actually, actually this was pretty bad. The linesman was three quarters of the way across the pitch before the before the referee had clearly signalled for the players and it was over. So no, so they needed to get out of the way and they kind of left the players to fend for themselves a bit now, I think about, yeah. about that again. And, you know, obviously the you've seen all the stuff from Nottingham Forest. Sheffield United i mean um I almost have had the, the thought a bit earlier whether you suddenly whether you suddenly feel that you have to change the playoffs and make them one one legged games at a neutral ground so you get equal sets of fans play for 120 minutes and if it's a draw that's the side that you know got the higher the higher league position goes through whether you whether you start to consider something like that and even if you got a conversation like that going that would put the wind up broadcasters who would miss who would miss you know um, ratings and revenue and that from a few games in the football league who would so you know i don't know whether that's an idea worth kicking around um whether the broadcasters who pay their fees would remotely even consider it but it you know, it might, might make people sweat a bit if you if you really started to think you had to fundamentally change around with the nature of the playoffs because you, you can't trust the fans of the home team when they go through in the second leg.
0: What a, what a, sad, thing was... to, what a sad thing to even have to propose, Andrew. I mean, look, I'll, I'd, I'd like to bring Ellis in at this point. Ellis, you've just, you just joined us with a speaker request. If you wouldn't mind unmuting your mic. I would like to ask you about your thoughts on deterrence and... I mean, Andrew's talking about being as strident as changing the, you know, the format of the playoffs. But from your point of view, how do you deter people from from what is quite clearly a creep? From I mean, I remember playoffs go. I remember playoffs going back years where there would be these pitch invasions, but fans just seem to nonchalantly run past players uh, because they're more interested in each other and celebrating. And and you would see the players being sort of that you might get the odd buffeting, but you'd see the players making their way off the pitch, crestfallen or otherwise. But now there is con- clear contact being made at these games that is more than just a, a an innocent brush in the shoulders. I mean, how do you deter that?
7: Well, it's a tough one really. Like um I was hit by a bottle yesterday at the game and it's just like what can you do to stop to to stop it? Because you've got um the likes of, you know, lifetime bands and such, but you can see from the videos yesterday, it's hard to make out who's, who's actually on the pitch and there's so much going on in it. Like what, what, what can you do? Mm.
0: I think, well, Ellis, from from my point of view, the answer is technology um, on, on a few fronts. Okay. So, The thing that baffled me a little bit today before the news broke that there was a a, now a live police investigation that Staffordshire police were dealing with a number of. Well, hopefully it's come off the back of because in order to investigate, you need an allegation and then you need evidence. But, you know, you can you, you could not dispute the fact that there was TV footage, a lot of TV footage, very clear footage that had been picked up by a major international broadcaster that showed misbehaviour of people on the pitch, right? Whether that be players, fans, whatever, there is clear disorder on that pitch and it's been recorded. Okay. Um, Police officers, um, it's very easy to point the finger at the police straight away and say, it's down to the police, but it's very rare these days that police are responsible for security inside football stadiums. They can have a presence, but more often than not, clubs are clearly managing their own security. Okay. So, you start looking at the stewards. Now, I saw an awful lot of people there yesterday with wearing body cams. And the question that I was asking was how many of those body cams are activated? How many of them were actually recording footage? And for me, the reason I'm asking, I'm, I asked that question is because straight away, you've got proximity with potential offenders and you've got recordings of both sides of the story, okay? But the, the, the other side thinking about technology um, is that, you know it cannot be I mean all, most stadiums now have got fairly complex CCTV systems that can pick up record fans and and this is where I'm kind of hoping because a, a, a lot of um sometimes people get frustrated with the police at what they believe to be a lack of action, but what they don't necessarily understand is that somebody now involved in the in the in the in the, the police investigation will have the the and a team will have the the painstaking responsibility of combing through. A lot of the footage that they've got hold of and i'm wholly confident people that were actually seen to be breaking the law will 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 have their collars felt and will be held accountable for their action but it's um there is a phrase that gets used about dealing with things in slow time so sometimes actually just because somebody doesn't get arrested there and then doesn't mean that they're not going to get lifted further down the line um and and dealt with accordingly and that could be people getting picked out of future games I mean, Ellis, have you ever been at a game where you've seen the police sort of enter a stand or security enter the stand and escort people out, um, and then well, wonder yeah. why that's happened?
7: Well, <clears throat> I, at the Warsaw game, um, there were police in the stand escorting a few Swindon fans out for um, disorderly behaviour. Um, but I've I've never I've never seen like a police officer arrest someone for not for doing nothing, if you know what I mean, yep. like. Um, I've been been at games,
0: Ellis. Ellis, I've I've been at games where I've seen people being essentially um, being picked up by the police as they've exited stadiums and I've heard them arguing what have I done wrong? Um, As in, they hadn't done anything at that game. And my suspicion has always been, well, it's because they've got evidence of previous offences
7: at previous games. And at the Warsaw game, I think the police handled it quite well, Um, especially after the game. Um, You know, they they stepped off and they, they kind of uh, blocked off the other half to to stop to prevent Swindon fans going over to the uh, to the home fans. They were very quick to um, do that
0: Ellis weren't they? Walsh? Yeah, very and
7: quick. and it, it wasn't necessarily they didn't know a pitch invasion was going to happen. Um like it, it, there was a possibility but it w- it wasn't definitely going to happen. So um they obviously had a plan and it, and you kind of ask yourself why didn't they have it last night because it is it's a bit it's a mm. playoff semi-final and you would think there'd be more police there but mm.
3: that's
1: know. one that's sorry to interrupt their Hannes that, that's one thing i was surprised about why were they why was that place line behind the goal why wasn't it on the, on the edge of the penalty box it was or, or someone like that to to separate from them from getting so close they made no effort to keep them away
0: mm. yeah well I, I think i mean listen i think um I mean, we, we we've got through an awful lot um, in relation to this, and I think it's 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 only right and proper that we give. Now we know that the issue is being dealt with by the authorities. Yeah. That we give the authorities the the opportunity to um, to to deal with the disorder that was as from from my perspective the alleged disorder as the as the authorities would like me to say, like to deal with the alleged disorder in a you know in a in a timely manner, and and I'm sure I'm sure they will. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm confident enough that they will. It's very easy to get frustrated and say, "No, nah, they won't, they won't." But, you know, I will, you know, I will be very, very certain with the technology that is available at their disposal that there will be action taken against certain individuals. And if that happens to be on both sides, it will be on the basis that there is evidence. So, um, we we wish the authorities all their best. And I would point out that. Port Vale came in for a a lot of stick, um, certainly early this morning, as there was a lot of images um, or rather a lot of tweets going around with allegations of disorder. Um, And Port Vale have have now come out and and, uh, condemned uh, the actions of anybody in that ground that was causing disorder, which is is welcome and is the, is the right thing to do um so um yeah we wish we wish obviously um both police forces well with their investigation um and we're going to watch it with, with with great interest but well look we're, we're part of that because that's all you know it's it's sad it, it needed to be talked about because it's all part of everyone's journey last night but um let's we, we start taking let's just start taking a look start taking a look forward um at this juncture where do we go from here now Andrew, I'll I'll bring you back in at this stage because I appreciate um, you weren't necessarily on on the mic per se in the era that I'm going to talk about. But I tweeted earlier today that this season has got echoes of um, Swindon Town 1991-92 under Glenn Hoddle, where a very, very talented team of technicians were were just not quite good enough to make the cut that season. But we all know what happened the following season when we actually decided to... um, do the business in the playoffs where's where's do do you first question is Andrew do you do you see similarities in those echoes and are you feeling bullish in relation to next year
2: um yeah going back to 91 92 that's quite that's yeah that's stretching my memory but it's, it's quite an interesting proposition isn't it whether you can kind of keep keep the core of the team and and build and build on it I think it what what does that depend on I think it depends very much on centre-half recruitment and who gets kept Um, you know what the the status of whether Dion Connell will move on as we've discussed whether Matthew Baudry will retire or not or whether he will actually feel that he has finally found the the kind of personal fitness regime for him that is going to allow him to to play regular games at last and what other sort of centre-halves they bring in and what they do in terms of strikers but if they can if they can keep the core of the midfield together and you know that there seem to be quite sort of positive noises about Reid and Williams so nothing nothing I know of is, is definitive then they're in then they're in a really good position with a midfield that you know can win you matches in that division um make sure you find your your combination of ball playing and and physical defenders and there's normally so much movement in this league from most clubs um, that quite often, you know, they'll be fielding eight or nine players in a in their team at the start of one season, and they'll have gone somewhere else in the next. You know, there's such a there's such a big turnaround that if you keep, you know, if you can keep ten or twelve or fourteen of your team, I think you do give yourself a genuine advantage in terms of where you where you kind of begin preseason and begin your season because you don't have to go, you know, through all that just the sort of players getting to know each other and establishing that kind of that good group culture, which it feels pretty evident that Swindon have got. So um, potentially there's, there's a pretty decent base to build on with, with one or two, one or two tweaks and one or two, you know, positions getting hopefully the kind of reinforcements that you weren't able to have with the the size of the squad this year. Yeah.
0: It, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting point you raise, Andrew. I think, um, on a couple of fronts, really. Firstly, yeah, as you say, the, the turnaround, whilst it frustrates the hell out of us, we all seem to sort of hang our kind of argument on this, oh, another rebuild. Well, yeah, guess what? Mm-hmm. We're in the lower leagues. You know, the days of clubs giving out four or five-year contracts are, are, are long gone. You know, that is a bygone era. Um, and you, whether that be Bosman or whether that be just financial realities, a lower league, whatever, that's just a that's a reality that we've just got to get our heads around. There's always going to be an element of churn. However... Um, I, I do sense, Andrew, if you are, I, I believe that the club want to keep the, the core that we've got for this team together, a la 91-92, where a lot of those guys, you know, we, we were able to keep that that core together and build on it. I think a lot of it's going to come down to um, whether or not how many of these lads really buy into each other and and crucially build it, buy into what Mr Morfuni and Mr Angus are putting in place at our club. Um, because the the, the, wind, the winds of change at the county ground have, have blown this season and we've had significant um, uh, sort of surge of, of optimism at the county ground. Five-figure crowds have become the norm at the county ground and you don't get that at a lot of other clubs. We talked about the rumours of Dion Conroy moving on, for example. Dion's not going to be playing in front of five-figure crowds at Leighton Orient anytime soon. And that's, that in itself has got to be a big pull. I mean, Chris, bring bring you back in at this stage. Yeah. Um, are you? How, how are you feeling about? I mean, I was, I'm going to get Andrew's thoughts on this because Andrew gets a little bit more contact than most of us with with the first team squad. But do you, your gut reaction? Do you do you feel that we're we've got it about us to keep hold of the likes of Johnny Williams, Jack Payne, Louis Reed, three vital cogs in our team? Do, you, do well, you Can you see? Do you think they're going to be in the red and white next year? Well, when we, uh, was
1: it? At the game at Harrogate. I, I and a group of other um, fans were actually speaking to Johnny Williams, his, his dad, who said he had signed. So I'm not fussed about Williams because I'm pretty sure he has signed. Well, or was going to sign. Uh, Reid's a bit... Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'd love to keep Reid as well. But the, the the embargo's not... If people are sniffing around, that's, that, that's the issue that the embargo's going to cost us. The the one thing that I I do think that the, the glaring we obviously know there's some flaws here and and we've we've touched on this, the uh, the forwards and strikers but I think height's another thing that we've missed this year so
2: especially you when you look
0: at that midfield three yeah I think I think the, the tallest of them might be five foot five yeah it's it's interesting is not it I it, it really looked odd, didn't it when when Gladwin comes on and it slots in amongst the other yeah. like, two of the three. When you suddenly have that, you you do, I mean, you saw him yesterday in defensive positions, you know, attacking the ball on the edge of his, on the edge of RAT. And you do sort of feel a little bit more reassured when the big balls are, you know, a bombing forward that, well, we've got another, we've got another big body in there. I think, um, I mean, I, 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 Andrew, come back to you on, on this. I mean, Chris has said about, um, you know, what, sort of whispers of, that Williams is going to be here. I've I've heard oh. similar, similar whispers in relation to Louis Reed being very content and wanting to remain at the club. Um, it, I guess it's going to come down to, you know, it, obviously, even if they've got the the you know, int Louis, Louis Louis Reed has performed at such a level that even if we've got the intent to do something very special in Wiltshire, if a if a big Championship club comes calling and is and is offering him life changing amounts of money, it big, it's a big decision for him, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I I think if you're from his point of view, it's very you know, if a Championship club comes in then then it's a different matter because even a even at Championship level, you know, um, clubs are going to be able to blow Swindon out of the water in terms of the wages they can offer and the kind of career progression, really. So, I mean, the, the financial gap between, goodness knows, Championship and even League One is is frightening when you look at all those sheets of clubs spending, you know, 192% of their revenue, whatever it is, Reading tend to do on on player wages. So, um, yeah, for him, that, that's difficult. The, Johnny Williams seems a bit different just because of the kind of relationship he's got with Ben Garner and that it it perhaps matters to him more to be playing regularly both uh, maybe kind of his contentment and his his Welsh place as well really than than maybe some other players so i i feel he might be a sort of slightly different case in terms of you know the club in league 1 could come and offer him a bit more money but i'm not necessarily sure that 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 is such a motivation of him at this stage. Well, that I mean, that's the that's the sense that's the sense I get. But let, let's not get too romantic about um, footballers and, and increased wages because they they are they are all encouraged to maximise everything they can from relatively short careers.
0: Yeah. Well. Okay. So um, I mean, I I'm I'm wholly for what it's worth. I'm I'm wholly confident that we're gonna we'll keep the spine of the team. I've I've got everything crossed that. Um, you know, Matt, Matt Bowdery has obviously talked about leaving football and a burgeoning career in finance. Uh, I would hope that, you know, another year of football is is not something that would delay those those plans, um, you know, massively for him. And he's quite clearly shown us that he's got an awful lot to give. And with a, with a full pre-season under his belt, you would imagine that he'd be in a position to hit the ground running next season. And I think... We're in a good position with the goalkeeper, um, in that we've got. I can imagine, um, you know, clearly Lewis Ward being part of the mix next year. We've got um, uh, um, Idem um, as a backup goalkeeper already through the door. I can't imagine that's going to break the bank to keep him here. I think it would be um, a, a a. There's an interesting sort of dilemma now. I think if you're Jojo Woolcott, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be um, I'll be really interested in getting you know anyone's view on this really in that. It's, it's going to be Jojo's now in a really interesting sort of position going into the new season because he's lost his place at Swindon Town as, as a consequence as Ben Garner would have you for, of injury. Um, Lewis Ward has has not done anything wrong, um, but he's got the only a few months away now. He's got a World Cup in Qatar to consider. And he he's in a very, very difficult spot now. We can speculate as to whether or not he's not playing because other clubs have come in for him and maybe his, his eyes are elsewhere. But let's just take Ben Garner at his word and say he's not coming because he's injured. Do, 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 does anyone have a hope in hell that they're going to see Jojo Willacott in his Swindon shirt next season? I, I'll literally put that out to anyone. I would be surprised <laughs> if Jojo's here next year.
1: Uh, but um, It was brilliant early season, but once he came back after the African Nations Cup, it just it wasn't the same. It wasn't yeah. uh, for, for whatever reasons, um, he just wasn't as good as he was earlier. So, I, I actually think i uh, will be very, very surprised if he's at Swindon next
6: season. Yeah. And I guess the other issue with Jojo is going to be that if we, let's say we do keep him, can you afford to be missing him for the maybe three or four weeks that he would be away, especially in a period like December yeah. where you get a fixture pile-up as well? But yeah, maybe... I, I... They I just agree. want to watch like, the hands of it maybe and the Ward's not really put a foot wrong so I mean I'm personally comfortable having Lewis, Lewis Ward as the number one next season myself
7: you, yeah, I, not- I think you've, you've kind of got to look at it at, from a selfish perspective um, where yes yeah, so, uh, we want to keep Willacott like we want to have those that, that option there but yeah, if, if you're Ward you don't want to be in goal one week and out of, out of goal next week. You want to keep him in form because, like you said, Willa is uh will be out anyway over December. So, I I personally think start Ward at the start of the season, and you know then he goes into form in December rather than him his first game being like midway through the season.
0: Yeah it's yeah. Ellis, it's listen it's a, it's a point that I'm going to probably repeat a point that if you're a regular listener you hear me say quite regularly over the last sort of three four weeks which is uh, speaking as a as an ex goalkeeper myself I am a, a huge believer that you shouldn't as a goal, as a manager and I'm saying this from a keeper keeper's perspective okay I don't think you should be in a position I think you should always have two two goalkeepers and certainly have a third goalkeeper because you need that from a coaching point of view um, you know, even if you've got the young buck pushing through. But you should have two goalkeepers that are going at it hammer and song. And I don't think it's healthy that any goalkeeper feels that they're at a club and they are the number one, my undisputed number one. I think that is a breeding ground for complacency. And I was over overjoyed only from a point of view that it tunes into my thoughts on it when Lewis Ward was back in the side. And I've been chuffed to see Lewis Ward do as well as he has. And I think one of the reasons he's done that is because he's I believe he's actually won the shirt back. He's been put in. He, he's he's not put a foot wrong. You know, he's 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 earned the shirt. And now Joe it, the, the onus is on Jojo to get the shirt back off him. Um which is good for it's good for everybody. You know, you've got to have that competition amongst your goalkeepers. We had that earlier in the
1: season though as well when probably the best goalkeeping performance of this season was when Ward against Salad FC earlier. And then one game after
0: he was just replaced, but against Forrest Green, he was brilliant. He was, wasn't he? Didn't put a foot wrong. And I, I'm with you, Chris. I mean, I've, I am, I'm, and just to be clear, and again, I've said this many times, I, I think we are blessed to have two of the best goalkeepers in the division on our book, as has been proved by their performances. I mean, let's take for example going into the penalty shootout last night. It, it wasn't just blind faith. I just really fancied Lewis to. You know, to to you know, to rise to the occasion, and and lo and behold, he did. Um, but again, equally in a real high pressure game, he showed great composure both on the deck and with his hands mm. uh, right across the 120 minutes, and he was great in the penalty shootout as well. So I know he's got. He's certainly got the minerals to deliver what we need next year. I think that the, the thing in my mind will be. Is Manny Idem going to be good enough to step up from that third position, which is very much a training benefit, and really put the heat under Lewis? If if Jojo goes, if he isn't, then we're going to have to probably spend a bit of money to bring in a goalkeeper of, of similar calibre. The thing, yeah, with, uh, the thing uh, with Ward
1: uh, as well is there was is, um, since he's come back in, the one thing I think he's been really good at is is um, is coming not so much coming to claim the ball, but coming as we lack height, to, uh, and, and the punching, punching yeah. the ball and getting it clear. Oh.
0: Yeah, I, I listen, I completely agree. Sorry, Ellis, I, I'm, I yeah. definitely yeah. want to hear from you on this. But I I think that, I, like I said earlier in the show, if for me, it's no surprise that our two centre-backs have totally yeah. blossomed at a time where Lewis has come into the side for that very reason. Because you're, you're coached as a goalkeeper from a very, very young age. You know, command your six-yard box, but the best goalkeepers command their 18-yard box. And they're, they're, they're punching. You've got to remember, Lewis is what? six five six six, right? So Lewis jumps in the air. Lewis, let's say, he puts three foot on that, all right? So suddenly you've got aerial power of nine foot something. And that's before he then stretches up what is probably another two and a half, three foot of arm. So before you know it, you've got 12 foot of aerial superiority in and around your box. If your keeper isn't coming for crosses and corners, particularly when you're one of the smaller sides in the league, there is something very, very, very wrong. And I think for everything Jojo brings you on the deck, Lewis brings a totally different dimension to our our defensive power. So uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Sorry, Ellis, I'm not going. No, we're not going to cut you off. I definitely want to yeah. hear your point.
7: That's fine. Um, what I was going to say was, um, it, it's the same as any outfield player, really. Like, uh, for example, Baldry and Conroy at the, uh, at the back. Why why would you switch them out if they're having if they've if their past five games have been solid at the back, why would you switch switch them out and and start O'Brien, for example? Like you you're gonna you're gonna start the player that's been in form, and I, I I don't think in any of the previous four or five games Ward has done anything that you know would 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 make you say I don't want I don't want him in goal in. And, and, yeah, he, I, don't, I don't think he's done anything wrong to justify swapping him out for Wallercock. Yeah, the, I, the I, only, I
1: completely agree. <clears throat> the only questionable thing I, I would say about Ward, and I, I, I probably think a lot of people might agree with it, is um, is his is, is kicking isn't great. Certainly, that's the one advantage wallacott got was over him. But Ward just is that bit more commanding
0: in his box than Wallercock is. It's yeah. Yeah, one 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 hundred percent. Well, listen, I mean, okay, let's we'll we'll we'll, we'll park that for a tick because Andrew, I want to bring you back in at this stage just to sort of have a a quick conversation about our um um about sort of um the retain list et cetera. We mm. we now obviously the the, the the we're at a point of the season where you, you're going to imagine the club are going to be putting the retain list out from your point of view. When when are you expecting to see that?
2: um i don't i don't think we've got anything definite yet but i would imagine they will want to do it pretty swiftly to you know allow the allow the players to know where they stand and go and you know recharge or or find new clubs or whatever so um we don't have any dates but you know most most clubs were who you know league season and finished at the normal time and kind of got it out within the week so i would i would assume and i'll, I'll say assume sometime next week um quickly on the goalkeepers i'm not sure things look that good for mm. Edem. simply because he hasn't really challenged the first two and of course the one time he should have been on the bench ben Garno rarely calls out his players in mm. in public said so he missed a team meeting and so he wasn't so um I, I think uh my suspicion is he may well be on that uh on that list, and not not in a good way. But again, that's that's me surmising rather than having uh, any inside information.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, which, it's, uh, you've it's got 10... to be spotless as well. By the way, as a, as a third goalkeeper, you have you cannot be affording to put a foot wrong on so many fronts because you've got to make sure you're telling your coaching staff you are ready at every single opportunity. But also, crew. I mean, you're so important as well to. The the goalkeeping collective because typically you've got a goalkeeper coach you've got your first choice your second choice the, the serving as you'll probably see in the warm ups at the county ground our third goalkeeper is always on the pitch you know warming up the other goalkeepers you know and and it's so they can both work at the same time and nobody's getting cold and picking up injuries or or things like that. they're all working at the same pace now it's a, you know as a very very I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but from what I understand it was like being late to a team meeting or something. Then that obviously is gonna draw questions, question marks around things like your um, you know, things like your professionalism and but then the one thing I will say for a goalkeeper, Manny Idem is still a baby. And and also what I would say is I hope I mean we've not seen enough of him. One 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 sort of Wiltshire Wiltshire Shield match will not will not define what this guy can bring to the table, but what I will say is that he's an imposing figure. He's a, he's a big lad. He's a young lad. He's got, you know, hopefully if he's got ability about him, he's shown enough that he'll be given the opportunity to, um, you know, to step up um, as and when required. But yeah, Andrew, you a very valid point. Sorry, Chris, you were going to say, I was going to say with retained lists there, um,
1: I would expect it either Monday or Tuesday. Bear in mind, Northampton released theirs today, which was two days after their game. There's, I, I don't know what the date is, but there is a set date where you have to release your um your retain list by. So yep. uh, it will definitely be early next week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and well, we we can discuss who we think might be on that. But
0: yeah, who? Okay, so um, I mean, uh, let's let's put this out, Alex. I mean. Um, again, we, you know, appreciate you're a little closer to the club than most of us. But I'm not going to ask you to betray any um, confidences or put or, or compromise you professionally. Um, if you were, if you were a betting man, um, speaking purely as a fan, um, who who do you think do you think there will be any surprises on that list? Are you expecting to see any surprises on that list?
4: No, I don't think so. I think it's um, just on idem. Again, I have. Didn't see him at Port Vale at home on Sunday, which he normally would have. Um, so, yeah, I don't know on that one, but I, I can't see him probably being around, if I'm being totally honest. Um, with regard to sort of retaining released, yeah, I don't really have any strong opinions on that. Um, I actually really haven't even actually had a look at who's out of contract and who's not. So forgive me on that one. Um I was just going to butt in there, just actually, just to say I was going to I was going to exit the conversation, but I just had an answer to your question. I've just been in uh, a WhatsApp message with uh, with Cass about the pitch, and yeah, you cannot change your pitch dimensions during the season, and that includes playoff games as well. So you have to stipulate wow, at the okay. start of the season, you stipulate your your dimensions, and that is that for the whole season. So if they have changed it then they've they've um gone against regulations but um I wouldn't imagine they would have took that risk but it may just have looked slightly um
0: Yeah I don't know maybe, I think maybe you different know what, Alex I think it was just my I mean again it was just my personal opinion because I didn't go to Vail earlier in the season but what I was expecting at my at my kind of vantage point was this very very wide expansive pitch and I just didn't get that flavour and I think what skewed my view was that the light, like, you know, particularly as, as you're looking at it from the from where the town fans were, your, your touchline on the right-hand side was clearly about, looked about sort of 10 metres in from, yeah. from their stand. There was a huge amount of grass that side. So, it, yeah, purely why. So, we're not suggesting there's any skullduggery or wrongdoing or any investigations to be had on Bale's part. would be nice
4: if there was, was, wouldn't that?
0: Wouldn't <laughs> it? Wouldn't, <laughs> that, wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah. Well, let's hope the authorities are listening and they just, let's just hope they're dotting the I's across the C's. Um, and
4: then, but, then yeah, I'm, just a second, just a second point, being uh, Mark's just been discussing as well. I think I missed the first five or six minutes. So, if anyone discussed it, and I'm sorry for going off topic, obviously, just before I exit, but. Garno is always on to me and Marcus about make sure the pitch is wet, make sure it's, you know, make sure it's got enough moisture in it so we can zip it around. And that's a massive factor last night, lads. Massive. Uh, that pitch dry. was it, 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 it hadn't been watered, you could tell that. It wasn't watered at half time. And you could tell our players were a bit shocked in the first five, six minutes, their passes were way short. And I think it took us a long time to adjust. Um I texted Marcus and sort of said about the water, and he said obviously that would just completely destroy our game plan because the gaffer is, you know when we had a little sort of malfunction with the sprinklers about six or seven weeks ago, um, that really affected us in one of the halves where the sprinklers malfunctioned. We weren't able to get the water on um, and the gaffer sort of said after, you know, no fault of anyone. It's it's just one of those things, but it completely went against us. I think that might have been the, um, what was the game after Walsall? We won 5-0, didn't we? And then we didn't do so well on the Saturday. I can't remember what game was. um, Balford, I think it was. Yeah. yeah so, so that, that second half I think we went 1-0 up and then because we haven't got enough water on the pitch the pitch dried out and it just completely threw the lads so I think that's probably again a dark art but um, sorry Hannes for going off conversation um, topic but I just wanted to get them two points in before I exited because I knew you'd kind of be keen to, to hear about those the answers for yeah. the dimensions question.
0: No, Alex, that's brilliant insight from you, mate. We really do appreciate it. That was the one thing that I kind of neglected, and it was on my list, my shit-housing list, to raise the fact that, you know, it was quite... It was, you're absolutely right, it was quite clear. When you were seeing the guys trying to hit those balls, I think one of the reasons why some of the long balls were going a little bit awry was they were having to really put some meat on it because it just wasn't carrying. But, um, yeah, I was doing a rain
4: dance at half-time, but unfortunately I checked the weather (laughs) for class and there was absolutely no sign of any rain, so... Well, well, like I say, we, 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 we blame you, Alex. It's, it's all down to you, mate. We could have we <laughs> had
0: Wembley. Alex, Alex Veach, ladies and gentlemen. You. Send your, compl- Cheers, send your complaints <laughs> to the county ground for we've taken yeah. attention. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> really appreciate it. You enjoy your evening, buddy. You appreciate your input.
1: Cheers, to guys. Hannes, you. Hannes, to put you on the – we're talking about this retain list. Yeah. Is it? Is there people there you're sort of in and about the team that you think might not be offered a
0: deal? Uh, I, I think we've I think we've already touched on Jojo, and I think um, it's a real shame because you know he, he's quality. But you know what? I, I, I'd say I'd see Jojo depart uh, with nothing but our best wishes, for, or my best wishes, from a point of view not not the goalkeeping union sympathy, but purely because um, you know he was one of the faces that you know could have walked away from any commitments or otherwise at the county ground last summer, and he didn't. Um, he, uh, I, from what I understand, there was you know. Mildy had worked very, very hard to bring him back to the county ground, and he was super keen to to come, and and he's honoured that, and he's come back, and he was sparkling for the large part of the season, got himself in the driving seat for number one for Ghana, and he's going to go to the World Cup, all being well to the lad, and and he's achieved that in the red and white of Swindon Town, or the pink or the blue, depending which way you look at it, so I'm... I, I think I'd be very very surprised if we if we retain him and and good luck to him I hope he goes and gets a whopping great big payday yeah.
6: um
0: and all I hope all I hope is that he goes to a um, a club and plays
6: yeah
0: um, because it would be terrible to go to a club for three well say terrible depending which way you look at it he could go to a club and earn really good money for three years and just not play yeah. and I think um we will we would off probably. I guess the dilemma he's got now is Wardy's coming and done so well, he would have probably been thinking, well, I'm going to play regularly at Swindon and maybe stay for another season just to ensure that I'm going to the world cup and I'm playing. But if he's, if he goes somewhere, I just hope he goes and he's got assurances. He's going to stay. I I think looking through the, looking through numbers, I know squad numbers, but looking through two to 11, um, I, I, uh, similar scenario really with, with lads like Dion, lads like Hunty, I, I, I'd, I'd like to think that you know Hunty um, would would stay. Um, I would say that you know one of the lads that he, he would say, I mean, what was he? Subject of a two hundred thousand pound bid from Reading in the from Wrexham, sorry. Rexham, right yeah. So I, I can see that there would be interest in Hunty. Mm. Um, I know I don't believe Hunty's local to the area. I think like Dion, he's um, his family are out Essex or East London way. And, and I think there would probably be takers in that area. I, well, Hunt
1: uh, is—I mean, I saw a message earlier about three Swindon players hmm. linked to Orient, and I thought Conroy Hunt and O'Demayo would probably
0: have been those three players. Yeah, well, you've you've taken the words right out of my mouth, mate. On the next one, um, yeah. so great, hmm. great spot. I think. Okay, so I'm—I've got real mixed emotions in relation to Akin O'Demayo because. Um, I certainly hold no ill will towards Akin. Um, I think Akin's been a terrific servant for us. Player of the Year last year, um, you know, in a, in a very, very poor, admittedly, Swindon Town team. But I think, um, you know, any any player that has, has already kind of made efforts to be away from the county ground. But they're obviously very difficult circumstances in the summer. But uh, I think... You know, the fact that he kind of came back because other options that he'd been trying trying to engineer or others were engineering for him didn't work out. Um, that ended up being a kind of, it felt like more of a marriage of convenience as opposed to a player that really necessary, really, really, really wanted to be here. And I may be, that may be very unfair on Akin because he may well have wanted to be here. This is just my perception. Um, I think... Um, As a centre back, I have question marks again. Speaking from a keeper's perspective, he doesn't give me the impression he's the most vocal um, centre back, um, or indeed full back. But I think it's you get away with not necessarily being the most vocal when you're playing at full back. Um, I I think he's probably the most. It would be a shame because of his versatility, but I don't think he is. um, I don't think he's the answer for us at centre back next year. So I can, yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me, Chris, if mm. three of those guys ended up joining Richie Wellens um, down the road, just because I, I, I it's convenient. probably
1: the thing that um, hinders Odegaard is the fact he is versatile. So he's he's moving around, so he's not being able to to move on and concentrate in one position. And fair enough, if if you're versatile, it does help. But sometimes when you're
0: young, you need to specifically know about your position. Yeah. And you know what, Chris, I mean, this, this, is the thing, I mean, it, a lot depend on any assurances he's given. I mean, if he's it, let's say for example, we were talking theoreticals here, but if Matt Balbury is going to be, you know, exiting stage left, and if, if Dion is to be leaving the club, uh, as, as the rumors that you've heard, let's say, you know, that those come to fruition, if the management team are turning around and going, look, there's a real opportunity here, you are going to be one of my two center backs. Um, I, I want you in the mix. Um, then what yeah he's going to play regularly isn't he and does he would he then would he then choose to to twist you know and and go somewhere where he, he might not get the opportunity to play whereas at least at Swindon he's you know he's he's a known quantity but i think he's he's probably to your question about who do I, who do i suspect would probably end up sort of leaving i, I can see i could see that akin would probably be one of those that would depart I think um going up through the midfield, I genuinely believe everyone seems to be of the opinion, well there's no chance we're keeping Jack Payne, but I've got a feeling I spoke to Jack Payne very early in the season, mm. just one of those casual car park passings, but he just <coughs> stayed that little bit longer than you than than you sort of expect from pros, which suggested to me that he was quite quite happy to pull this out there. And and I said to I just thanked him for hanging around in the summer, because he I said it's a for player your ability to stay in league two that's huge for us and we're clearly going to be building the team around you and he, he wasn't being big-headed about it he was sort of nodding along he went no no no, i get where you're coming from and then i was like what is your motivation mate you know is it just a lack of opportunities or and he's his take on it was that i just found a home i just feel a place that for the first time in my career i can really settle and and i want to i don't want to be known as someone that just jumped from one lily pad to the next you know i I, I love it here. I love the lads. I love the club. I love the fans. So I've got a feeling that I, I reckon we're going to keep all three of our starting midfielders. I think McCurdy's already already in the bag, so there's not an issue there. And and I actually think, as we mentioned earlier, um, we talked about Davidson and Tyrese Simpson. I've got a feeling Mr. Morfuni will bankroll uh, deals to keep um, to bring Tyrese back and keep um, Dave's. I mean, I noticed Tyrese today was very active on social media, um, getting involved with a lot of retweets in relation to um, the club. And let's, we go again next year and things like that? He's kept a close eye on what the lads are doing. So well, I think it, Mr. He, he's, been gonna... to,
1: he's been to the games as well though, hasn't he? I don't yep. think that's, yep. that's a significant mm-hmm. thing. Uh, mm. Is he going to go to these games then? Go and then going to sign for someone else?
7: And yeah, Chris... I also, yeah. earlier on as well, I also had a little look um, and the only, The only team he's uh, following on Twitter is Swindon, so you know that could be a a positive.
0: He's (laughs) a bright lad. He is a bright lad. But
7: in terms
1: of, um, we're talking about retain list and and release players. Obviously, we've we've we've, there touched on the big players. I'm uh, pretty sure that uh, obviously Ryan East and I think probably Mitchell Lawson will not be off the contracts. That's purely my opinion, rather than. Yeah,
7: so it's there's inter- also um, it's
6: interesting there's one. also the case for Aguiar as well because is is, is out of contract? Because he's one I'd like to definitely see you stick around because I think uh, he, he was, was
1: only given a one year time. contract, so but I'm pretty sure he'll be given a contract.
6: If, if yeah, Ricky
0: Aguiar Ricky is not in a Swindon Town shirt next season, guys, I will eat my hat. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so listen, I, I I think I mean you've you've mentioned all the names that I think are, are probably on the watch list. I think. Mm-hmm. I was going to I was going to say um I mean for me it, it must have been an incredibly frustrating season for Jaden Mitchell Lawson you know somebody that's known to the club that knows the club um you know pace pace is a quantity that is is in high demand um fits you know on paper fits our style of play but because of obviously the emergence of of Harry you know with Louis Barry coming in, um, and with the style of play that we operate, it's been it's been a, it must be a very frustrating season for him. So I think if he if he has options to go away, I think he possibly could. The only again, the, the the flip side of that is that you know that was a lad that had a big big reputation. He with Louis Barry leaving the club, he may well get an opportunity to to come in. He may well be offered a, a, a run, and he may well show him in pre season that he's got something about him, and so. Yeah, I think those really rule out. I mean, Ryan Easter is an interesting one because clearly he's a player that Ben Garner very, very much admires. Um, the issue that Ryan Easter's got is that when he, when he in the games that he did come in and fill in for Louis Reed, um, you know, he didn't he didn't really pull up any trees. He was at fault for goals, or certainly you know one of a collective that was that was at fault for goals. So, but has he done enough to sort of you know, sort of you know, be shown the door? I can't imagine he's on that much money. So I, I, I can envisage Ryan E still being here next year. Um, uh, I'm,
1: I'm not so sure on that. Was but the other thing with that as well is I don't think he's uh, his, his position is Louis Reed's position, and, and it's a bit unfortunate that he's been pushed into that. Mm. But, I, yes. I, I, I'm, but I'm not so sure he'll be offered a new deal. Especially I,
0: I think, with, when yeah. when you look at how many midfielders we've got, I just I just don't think he'll be offered one. I think, Chris, what's interesting about East, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. And, you know, it's it sort of, yeah, shoehorned in as almost like understudy to Louis Reed. But at the same time, I mean, he had Ellis's emergence on left centre midfield sort of, you know, scuppered any hope of slotting into the midfield at that at that time. But now Ellis has, has now graduated back into the sort of left wing back role and had been doing really well. So is Ellis going to, is that going to be Ellis's position moving forward? Because that was what everyone seemed to be saying. Uh, it, I think a lot for East, a lot's going to depend on, you know, if Jack does move on, um, you know, if, I mean, Willow, like I said, all the signs are that Willow's going to be here next year. Mm-hmm. So I think if we lose any one of those three, I think it opens an opportunity for Eastie to stay. But at the same time, listen, we, we, we I st- we started talking in this segment about the team in 91, 92, and and then how that then turned into the team in of 92-93. Well, we're going to need upgrades in this team. And that's not doing anyone a disservice. But if we're going to have a proper run at the title, then we need proper depth. And with all due respect, if I if I reflect on our championship winning team under Richie Wellens, and um, it's lovely to see that Mr Caddis has joined us and he may well have an opinion on this. But if you look at our midfield options in particular, under Richie Wellens, there wasn't there wasn't just depth, but there was quality as well. You know, Danny, Danny Rose was like one that was pushing to get a game. Mm. And and with all due respect to Eastie, a Danny Rose, he is not. No, but the, 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 the,
1: when we look at our uh, um, team this year, I think the, uh, what we really lacked, um, I mean, and I think it's probably, uh, it was exposed more when, when Leiden went out, was uh, another, not to, I mean, Louis reid has got, got it all. But you can maybe even say like an anti-Grant type, but I think Grant's legs maybe gone a bit this year. Yeah,
0: I, really think that, that's I think that midfield
1: I thought we really missed Lydon when he got injured.
0: Yeah,
1: it, it, coming down the stretch,
0: he would have been immense. Oh, he would have been, and and this is the thing. I think there's no, there's no, there's no doubt in, you know, Jordan, Jordan Lydon is, um, you know, certainly one of the best, one of the best midfielders under the roof, and and not only that, he's one of the best midfielders at this standard. Um, it's it. Yeah, it was his injury and the nature of It's absolutely wretched for him. But on the good news with um, the good news with Jordan Lydon is that all the chat on the show um, earlier in the week was that Jordan Lydon was seen, you know, walking freely, very comfortably around the club. Um, we know that Jordan's obviously been keeping on top of as much of his fitness as he can without sort of like putting too much strain on what is a, a really really serious injury. He's got a big summer ahead of him. But the, the, you know, I think you, you've got to you've got to trust our medical team who have, who've done wonders this year in terms of nursing, uh, you know, a relatively paper thin squad through the season. You've got to, you've got to put faith in them to get Jordan both in terms of mind and body back where he needs to be for you know the start of kick off. But that's a big mountain Jordan's got to climb. I think you, you you would be remiss to be going into the new season hanging your plans off. And that's no disrespect to Jordan, but I think you'd be remiss going into the new season hanging your your hopes on Jordan coming coming good because yeah. I, I just think that puts too much pressure
7: on him. I just quickly going back on the previous point. Yeah. Um, I think one of our downfalls this season has been our depth of the squad. Um, I mean, we saw it when McCurdy got injured. Um, I mean, McCurdy himself is is a great player, so. When when you don't have the likes of him on the pitch, you're gonna struggle anyway. But you know we have we haven't really got the replacement there. And and when Simpson got recalled, um, we didn't have a striker. and We obviously had to get um, Davidson uh, Davidson in on loan. Um, and just just even yesterday in yesterday's game, you, you get to the the later part of the uh, of the game and you, you ask questions who do you bring on and you look on the bench and you know it. it who who do you bring on but um, I, Ellis, I, I do oh, think mate. we need to get a stronger bench for next season definitely
0: Ellis I think you're going to find that I'm just going to agree with you again because again I look at your bio picture mate and if I don't agree with you you're going to challenge me to get in the ring
3: <laughs> and probably
7: punch my face
0: in so you're going to just find us all agree with you mate and say yeah you're absolutely fine <laughs> no but in all seriousness Ellis you've um, you've You've nailed, I think, what we've talked about throughout this show, really, um, at all stages, that, you know, in relation to last night, if you looked across our bench, did we have many game-changers on the bench beyond, you know, Ben Gladwin? Probably not. And is that something that Ben Garner would have been happy about going into this season with? Absolutely not. And is that something I'm comfortable and confident in Ben Ghana to rectify in the summer? 110%. Um, and not just Ben Garner, let's remember, I mean... Whilst Ben has gone about doing his job you know we we've not mentioned Ben Chorley's name once on this phone in and Ben Ben Chorley is deserves a huge amount of credit for i mean Ben Chorley obviously you know director of football has, has driven you know will will be will be the one that is out there responsible for driving recruitment in Swindon town and i don't think there is i don't think you can you can point too many fingers at Ben Chorley this year and say he's brought duds into the club um, every single player. We've been really unfortunate with injury, but every single player, pretty much, you know, you can you can say there have been a couple that have been a bit underwhelming. Some of the names mm-hmm. we've mentioned, but the, the recruitment this year they've all they've all stood up to scrutiny.
1: Yeah. The, the, the other uh, thing okay. I'll
0: say um, about uh, our depth this year,
1: a lot of that comes down to the embargo. We've, we're so yeah. limited on what we can do, and yeah, and and that's I think that's purely the only reason why we have done that because our hands are tied.
7: Yeah, yeah I, I I put out a tweet earlier. I said, um, I basically said, if if we can build build a team like this in in two weeks before the season, with a transfer embargo, like what what are we going to be able to do this summer, like? Yeah, and, and
0: and you'll notice, Ellis. Just just again, because I don't want to get my head caved in. You, uh, I did like that. Retweet it and quote tweet it, and uh, <laughs> I'll, be send, I'll be sending I'll you a crate of beer in the morning as well. So thank you, Ellis. And and, and Ellis, this we're gonna give we're gonna rename the show the Ellis Holloway. Oh, uh, land,
7: fantastic, yeah. Uh,
0: at, at the end of tonight, um, <laughs> because we're all very appreciative of you, Ellis. Thank you.
7: <laughs> I'll let um, you off. I'll let you
0: off. You're, you're very kind. Well, listen, I think. Um, I mean, I think really we've, the the, the, uh, the only, I, mean, I think we've done it by virtue of the of the show really across the board. The only other thing we were going to talk about in relation to the retain list was obviously the low knees of, of this year. And I think it's, uh, I, I was about three, four weeks ago, I was making really positive noises because I, I got, I had a feeling that, you know, I didn't think it was going to be too difficult to convince Joe Tomlinson to come back. I thought I, I I just very very clear. Um, Tyrese wants to return. I thought Joe Davidson would be hopefully a tap in for us in terms of the financials and in terms of Charlton letting him go. Um, we I don't believe that we're going to ever see Romley Critchlow. I, I certainly think it'd be a miracle if we see Kate Kessler Hayden back in the Swindon shirt. And looking at the nature of Louis Barry's tweet today, although there were rumours last I think it was last week or the week before that Louis Barry could potentially get a move back to Swindon, I think that Would have probably been on the basis of League One football because Villa are going to be looking at his development and wanting him sort of you know tested a bit further up the leagues. I I think my feeling is I think you could potentially see Louis Barry come back if his development stalls next year, if he's given an opportunity at League One, much like what happened at Ipswich. And if we're high high in the league, I think that Mark, Mark, I'm calling you Mark. (laughs) No, I quite like that. It's very rare I get called Mark, but (laughs) yeah,
1: the um. The thing about that was with Barry, and I think we've seen from this season is he's had some some very quiet games, so I don't think actually a season in league two would be the worst thing for his career. I
0: mm. oh, listen, I completely agree with you, and I think he's he's his development i mean he was stalled a little bit by an unfortunate injury just as he was coming to coming to the boil in my view but um you know, I, I don't. I don't believe he's going to be the kind of asset that, if Villa put up for sale, we could afford him. Um, so I think it, naturally, I think we would have seen him come back in League One. I don't think we're going to see him at the start of the season, but we keep our fingers crossed. And then, um, but I do, I do still believe that as a local lad, um, if the intention is to come back, the only thing that's going to stop Joe Tomlinson ending up in a Swindon Town shirt next season will be the price tag that Darren McAntony, who's a very shrewd operator.
1: Will be the uh, price tag I'm, that he puts on him. As, as much as I would love it, I, I, I just can't see Tomlinson coming back. I actually think Tomlinson could probably push to play for Peterborough uh, and and he will be close enough to the first team that he's not going out on loan.
0: Well, that again. was the thing, Chris, Chris wasn't it? with Joe Tomlinson was actually in and around the first team, it's just he wanted to be starting football matches. Yeah. Um, and Darren McAntony made it very, very clear at the start of the season when uh, we had the friendly with them and his name was mentioned a few weeks later and he was like made it very clear that they really I think he referred to him as Young Joe like they really rate him and obviously they've been relegated so uh, I think he like you I think he'd be very very comfortable at League One level Yeah, Um, but if he's not in the team like early on in the season that's a bit different
1: because he signed a two-year deal so this will be his last year and um, so if
0: he's not in there then there's an option but I think to start the season not a chance yeah, I, but I'm do. i I'm with you, mate. I, I think he, I can see him running his contract down at Peterborough. And, and I don't think it would be a shock that we see Tomlinson back in a red and white shirt. Just I don't believe he's going to be at the start of next season. So, uh, I,
1: uh... I, yeah, I completely agree with that. I get the impression that he wants to play for Swindon. But uh, uh, unfortunately, contracts are... Uh, well, you know what contracts are like.
0: Yeah,
4: yeah. Well, listen. <clears throat>
0: I think what I'll do, Andrew, I'll um, try and try and bring you in, Andrew, uh, at this stage, just with a with an eye on next season. And whilst I know this isn't a pep rally, um, I, I certainly think we've discussed enough, kind of, you know, positive and re- reinforced enough positivity in and around our football club to um, to to sort of, you know, warm everyone's cockles after what was a very disappointing night last night. Mm. Um, I think the first first question I've got for you is this. Um, you know should should we be you know just sort of taking stock and and going into next season with enormous amounts of optimism and renewed vigor and if and if if the answer to that question is yes um what's the one thing you would ask swindon town fans to be considering um over the over the next week or two um should they be having any doubts
2: Oh, blimey that's that's a good question um i'm I always tend on the cautious side, but I think you've got you've clearly got reasons for cautious optimism in that there's an infinitely more professional structure around the club than there was before um There should be less problems one would hope in attracting players and good players for the level uh when you've seen both the way the team play and, you know, the the kind of enthusiasm of fans and the crowd and, you know, the, gen, the general nature of the environment and, you know, not the fact they're scrambling around a couple of weeks before the start of the season. So you would hope that there's a, a sort of team and a coaching structure all in place that there wasn't ready to start with. We've seen that um, the sort of recruitment that Ben Shorty's worked on has been pretty good so even if you lose one or two you'd be fairly hopeful on his track record so far that they can find good replacements on the budget i i guess the, uh, well i i guess the if i was gonna you know give a message and i'm i'm hardly here to um you know throw out trumpets or tell people what to think is i suppose um is perhaps all, almost not to get the other way not to get too does you're downhearted if if for any reason it doesn't start well really, because you've you've kind of seen the the methodology and the and the coaching from this season work. And if things don't go well at the start, um, you know you've got a coaching team from what we've seen that have the ability to improve players that they they bring in. So um hopefully those are sort of slightly guarded but reasonably um, sensible messages as to to why they they can touch would be another good season.
0: No, I think you are bang on, Andrew. And on that on that about if there was a slow start, I will just remind everybody of the two thousand and ten season that yeah, you know, whilst ended in disappointment at Wembley, produced some of the most sparkling football and had some of the most um, uh, sort of gifted ta- uh, players of recent times in the Swindon Town um, uh, shirt. Messrs, Austin, Painter, Danny Ward, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, who opened the season with a 5-0 gubbing at the hands of Gillingham. So, yeah, hold, hold on to your hats. I think, um, I'm, I, I think we should all be tipping our hats to Swindon Town Football Club off the back of what we've seen this season, um, saluting the progress that we've seen. Yeah, there's been ups and downs, but the football has been much more akin to what I think Swindon Town means and represents in people's minds um and i think we're going to retain enough quality going into pre-season um and i think we're going to add significant quality to that um that next season um should bode very 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 well for us indeed it'll be a much more competitive league too um and i don't think it will be as tight at the top as deep in position as it has been this year um but i think we we, we've got it all to play for I'm, i'm i'm super pumped i think um well, we'll do. We'll, um, um, I think we'll, we'll draw a close to proceedings. There, a good sort of t- t- two hours and a good 40 minutes under our belt. So I, I thank everyone for your contributions tonight, guys. Um, I will. Um, Dan, Dan Designs has been having a, um, a, a good listening as one of my um, one of my two um, headline partners of our show. Uh, we've got a, um, a signed um, portrait from last night's penalty hero. Um, uh, Lewis Ward that we will be giving out so keep an eye on your direct messages because one of you lucky buggers that joined in tonight uh, is going to be picking that up for your contributions. so we thank you for that um, Chris is my co-host for tonight I hope you enjoyed yourself as always as always Hannes. oh you're very well that's very nice to hear well open invite <laughs> to come back on and um, it's been, yeah.
1: a, it's been a, a, a bit
0: too long to expose my weird accent no, I don't know. No, I've enjoyed every second of it. I've not made reference to it, but you know, I've enjoyed every I've enjoyed every second of it. Um, and 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 Andrew, uh, likewise yourself. Thank you ever so much. I Appreciate it. very busy late uh, night for you last night, both on the roads and up in the commentary uh, commentary box. So thanks, thanks for um, another lengthy stint in the um, in the cause of Swindon Town Football Club. Yeah, One no, thing though,
3: Hannah,
0: no Before you go, yeah. Next season you will you'll be coming up to join me
1: and Danny and Doncaster, will you? A million
0: percent. <laughs> a million percent. Good, good lad. Good lad. Um, yeah, a little, a little bit of um, so a little bit of housekeeping just to round off, guys. Please, please be clear: the, the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. It does not represent the views of Swindon Town Football Club, nor Sir Tom Broadbent himself, unless Sir Tom comes on and uh, and allows his dulcet tones to. Uh, fill your ears full of things that um, might draw controversy, which he very rarely does, but nonetheless, he might. And that's up to him. Um, it's been brilliant having you all on. Hope you enjoy the show. If you're listening on catch up, um, brilliant having you. Thanks for all the support and encouragement. The number of messages we get from you guys grows by the week. And we would chuffed to hear them. It really does mean the world. Um, awesome. We've got um, a special guest on next week. We've got silly questions with none other than um, trust STFC chairman Alex Pollock who's going to be joining us on Wednesday for what will be one of our last shows um, ahead of um, a much required summer break and recharge. Um, but yeah, this is the Tom Broadbent Lounge, guys, brought to you in association with um, Verilogic. And Dan Designs, it's been my distinct pleasure having you. Thanks very, very much for joining.